0: Welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. Mainstream, art house, vintage and documentaries. We bring news and reviews of big screen productions to your earbuds. We seek films. Now relax and enjoy The Show. Show.
1: Hello, Welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. This is our inaugural episode and it's so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up today, we've got loads of film news and reviews, including the box office top 10, our feature review of Catherine Bigelow's Detroit, and we even have a competition. So keep it locked. This is the Film Seekers Podcast. Hi, welcome. My name is Neil Ramji, and I am the head of Film Seekers and FilmSeekers.com. Our idea is to seek out films, as the name may suggest, take you into those places where you wouldn't normally go and discuss them. We also have some film news and reviews. We're going to be talking about some of the festivals as well. That doesn't seem to be a thing that's discussed on many film podcasts. And that's going to be our little USP. And uh, I am joined today by a co-host and he has written a wonderful piece on Korean cinema for our website. And he is Mike Ross. Hello,
0: Mike. Hello, thank you very much for having me.
1: It it is an honour. Thank you for being here with us today. Now, Mike, you're going to carry me through our very first podcast, fingers crossed, hopefully, and we're going to get to the other side going through, as I said, all the film news and reviews, and I'm sure you're going to have some views that are in direct opposition to my own so let's go straight into today's um, show with our film news and forthcoming features so we're going to talk about the four big things that have been going on in the film industry over the past maybe week week and a half and uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is whitewashing and this came up uh, around um, Ed Screen's performance uh, or non-performance shall I say in the upcoming Hellboy film, Hellboy 3, or Hellboy Rebooted, as it's going to be called, Ed Screen is a British actor, uh, a white British actor. I think that's important to point, point out. You probably know him as Dario Naharis from Game of Thrones, where he was recast as...
0: At recast uh, by or for Michelle Huisman was <laughs> was who replaced him, who does a great job, but I preferred Ed's Ed's version, if I'm honest. he He played it a bit more cocky
1: oh he did absolutely and uh, Michael Michel Huisman I believe Michelle Huisman also in Age of Adeline that's where I've seen him before completely played a different character Ed Screen's Dario Naharis though I have to say but anyway the, the, the point being is you would probably have seen him from there this time round he was asked to be part of the Hellboy series and this is I believe, a reboot, Mike? I
0: think it is. It's it's one where I'm fairly certain it doesn't have the original director, Guillermo del Toro, doesn't have the original star, Ron Perlman, so it, it feels like a reboot.
1: Right, and and this time he was asked to play a certain character, which is what's called, caused
0: all this Ferrari. Yeah, a character called Major Daimyo, Daimyo? I'm Daimyo, not entirely like sure, who is um, of the way I've seen it um, on... The news and on Twitter is of mixed Asian heritage.
1: Now, mixed Asian heritage means something completely different in the UK than it does in America. Mixed Asian heritage over here means someone of uh, Middle Eastern or Pakistani
0: or Indian descent. Whereas for America, it's a uh, Southeast Asian. Right. So we're
1: going to go with the American, obviously, interpretation on, on this one. So th- that's the character he was asked to be part of. Now, in, in terms of him standing up and turning that role down, it was quite quite a public thing, really, wasn't it?
0: yeah it's a very a very brave thing as well as if you you know you think of the hollywood system it, it's quite inclusive it, it doesn't often reveal these sort of things to us um so to to come out and publicly decry it i think is is quite ballsy
1: yeah absolutely and he did it for his social media on on twitter to all of his followers and pretty much went that went around the world basically um as these things do on. It went viral that's 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 <laughs> yeah. the term i'm looking for went viral and 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 that caused actually other people to suddenly stand up similar people of similar age to Ed. screen coming out and saying actually these issues are still going on in Hollywood and it's it's still affecting me and one of which was uh, Chloe Bennett now can you tell us a little bit about Chloe Bennett at all Mike?
0: Uh, well my first experience of her was through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the Marvel TV show
1: Right and at the moment she's going to be in this next interpretation of the Marvel cinematic universe as they call it a series called Inhumans
0: Yeah it's without being too spoilery her role in agents of shield feeds into what will be her role in Inhumans, humans
1: right and she said publicly that she had to change her name to be cast in this role so she believed that by changing her name it gave her some sort of advantage in
0: hollywood well yeah i think i read that she had said the first audition she went to after changing her name, she booked the the gig, you know. So that's quite indicative that it has proven results, sadly.
1: And her original surname was Wang? Yes. So Chloe Wang, uh, she's of mixed uh china american China american there um, we are so, so she
0: she said she was raised both
1: chinese and american she speaks mandarin and that sort of thing yeah, yeah. and uh so yeah she she changed her name so it would give her an advantage in hollywood and um it's kind of a sad thing at the end of the day really that you have to change your name to be considered to be of worth in an industry i, I think that's-
0: I, you're right it's it's horrible it's it's in I, I hate the term in this day and age, but it feels like it should be something that is from our past, that is no longer an issue, but it clearly still is. Oh,
1: absolutely. But you do get some very weird names actually nowadays in mainstream Hollywood. So perhaps that barrier of names is being broken down.
0: It, that, like I think there is a, a shift happening. It's, it's whether it's happening quickly enough or with enough force. I kind of would like to see that force you know
1: eradicate all of this nonsense within the next 20 years or so that would be that would be my sort of dream for this sort of thing but it's it's it all stems from this simplicity that the audience wants you know they want to be able to say the name of someone david green or whatever it is uh, know the star's name and not have something overly complicated whereas i guess as a culture now we we go for the more exotic and we we kind of like you know we're now eating food from all over the world and stuff and, and we we equally want our star names to be as exotic as the food well, that
0: we consume and our entertainment as well you know um we don't need to hear the same homogenized st- stories you know there is enough representation for white people out there you know it's, it's not a problem that you would have growing up that oh there's there's no characters that i can identify with or that inspire me in the same way that it is for people of other ethnicities yeah absolutely
1: and, and this isn't an unknown quantity we're talking about it as if it you know only happened last week you know, someone changed their name and uh, and finally got some Hollywood roles. But this has been this is endemic in in the system. It's been Sadly, going, so it's been going on for years. You, you talk about people like Marilyn Monroe, who changed her name for Norma Jean Mortenson. Tony Curtis was Bernard Schwartz. Woody Allen. Now, this is one that blew your mind. Yeah, like. uh,
0: genuinely, you you Woody Allen seems like such a complete package that that to learn that's not his actual name is is quite mind-blowing he wrote his own
1: own name down on, <laughs> that's how good he is <laughs> he wrote his own name down on, on on his typewriter in the in the corner of a cafe somewhere in brooklyn yeah um but yeah woody allen's real name of uh, is what well, i was gonna say of course then is is alan stewart koningsberg and that's obviously of jewish descent and i guess that may have been an issue for him in terms of getting into the uh, cinema system um because of all the issue with the uh, the blacklisting uh, yeah. after all of that happened in the uh, 50s and uh, early 60s. Um, so, you know, this isn't an unknown quantity. People are have changed their names long, 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 long in the past and will continue to do so, I, I would imagine. You know, everyone likes to have a, a stage name, as they say. Um, so, yeah, that's been going on this week, the whitewashing uh, with uh, Ed Screen's Hellboy role. And also the other thing we want to talk about this week, second big news... It was Aaron Aronofsky. Or Darren Aronofsky. That's the one. That's the one. Darren Aronofsky. Uh, his new film's out. Mother,
0: with an Which... exclamation mark on the end. Don't forget that. Yeah, Can't forget the exclamation mark. No, and it stars... Jennifer Lawrence yeah. and Javier Bardem and Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris. It's An amazing cast. Absolutely amazing cast. We'll
1: just give you a one-liner as to what happens. I believe Javier Bardem is a poet... Of sorts, and he has a, a very young wife in, in the form of Jennifer Lawrence, and they live in this sort of idyllic country house, I quite guess. secluded. Yeah, and um, one day, uh, a couple come to the door, uh, knock on the door, and uh, Javier Bardem's character says, Come in, you're invited. And and from the trailer, I think the trailer goes a little bit too far by by showing exactly what happens. We we won't spoil it any further than explaining what happens in the first reel. Uh, we haven't seen it, of course, yet, we would love to have seen it already. Um, But uh, essentially it it runs into some sort of Rosemary's Baby sort of territory with lots of horror elements coming into
0: it. A sort of psychodrama is how it looks, is the feel I got from the trailer.
1: Now everyone in the world, in terms of film critics, has seen it by now. It was at Venice last night as we record this. So a lot of people have seen it now. Initially, only two people actually saw it or two people were allowed to speak of it at the first screening.
0: Which is so bizarre
1: when you hear who they are. One was a very trusted film critic of Darren Aronofsky, got the name right this time. And the other person was everyone's favourite film critic, Anthony Bourdain. Most notable for being actually, he was in the Big Short in a in a small section. Oh, okay, I haven't actually seen it. It's he, on my list of shame. He was in. He was. He was in the Big Short to give him credit. But um, I I if I want to know about film, I wouldn't go to Anthony Bourdain to find out about it. If I want to know how to chop an onion, <laughs> he'd be the first man. I'd be, I'd be yeah. Anthony just struggling with this at the moment. Can you just yeah? But he came
0: out and gave it
1: absolute praise yeah rave
0: rave review from anthony bourdain which is not a sentence you ever thought you would hear on a film podcast no absolutely
1: and i've kind of i'm a bit taken aback by that because he anthony bourdain was quite vocal at the earlier part of the summer with baby driver of all things um (laughs) he absolutely hated it and and actually i thought with its love of american uh, and, and americana in baby driver I would have thought that American audiences would have lapped that up, but he, and particularly with his, knowing his character through his—I don't know Anthony Bourdain, but seeing him on TV and, and and getting an idea of what sort of person he is, this sort of beer-swilling, cigarette-smoking guy—he, I thought he would have loved Baby Driver. But he came out and he said it was an abomination, almost, and I, I, thought, I thought that was awfully, awfully strange.
0: I mean, I can't even get my head around that opinion of Baby Driver. It was—I thought it was amazing. It um, blew me away entirely. Same
1: here. It took me back into the Edgar Wright fold, if I'm honest with you. And I, I I've, I've, I'd stepped out of liking okay. Edgar Wright for a little while. I, I think what puts me off Edgar Wright at the moment is it. He does have a bit of a hype train running behind him, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty adverse to that sort of thing. I, I don't like an awful lot of hype behind a, a director. And when Shaun of the Dead came out, fantastic film. That's undeniable. And then Hot Fuzz came out, and once again, everyone raved about it. And don't get me wrong, it's a great film in terms of filmmaking technique, but it just didn't do it for me. Just something about it just felt a bit empty.
0: It's quite a baggy story as well. It's a slightly stretched narrative almost, I think. Um, So I can completely understand that point of view.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Anthony Bourdain, keep your film opinions to yourself, maybe, to an extent?
0: well i don't know i always feel that's perhaps a touch unfair it's it's the same as when celebrities opine about politics and they're told oh your opinion doesn't matter and it's all everyone's opinion matters when it comes to things like that that's very true liking a film is is a subjective experience um
1: yeah and i i think yeah for me to nullify anthony bourdain's opinion is is pretty harsh to be honest with you
0: but it was very bizarre that it he was
1: one of two people allowed to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, that that is Mother. We're both
0: very much looking forward to seeing it. Yes, um, very excited. Are you a fan of
1: Aronofsky's previous work?
0: Yes. Um, I I haven't seen Pi, which is, is is another one that is, is oh, on my you, you list to watch. Pie, you must see Pi. You must see um, But Black Swan, I thought, was one of the best films of the year when it came out.
1: I have to agree. I, In fact, here's an anecdote, and our first anecdote, hopefully one of many. Um, I read a local newspaper article uh, about a lady who had gone to see Black Swan. She wrote into the newspaper. It's one of those pages where people get their, their, their letters published. And can, uh,
0: disgruntled can, of Tunbridge Wells. <laughs>
1: something along those lines, yeah. yes. And uh, she had written in explaining how could our local cinema show Black Swan, a film about Swan Lake... Which was about ballet and everything else, and I was so disgusted with the content and blah 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 blah. And it, it got it got high billing on the, on the letters page of of, of all things. And uh, I I believe I wrote a retort the the week after, which did get published. Apart from it took out parts about ownerism and everything else. But hey, it's a local newspaper.
0: Dumbed it down slightly,
1: a little bit, a little bit, and. Um, i i had a lot of people actually come who knew me came came up to me and i oh, glad you put that old lady in her place we're assuming it was an old lady maybe a prude of some sort um but um yeah so that that is my anecdote about black swan but i i i, I enjoyed black swan an incredible amount and the the film that really got me and I, I i was quite young at the time was requiem for a dream It absolutely floored me that film um Jared Leto for for all of his faults,
0: it's just as as a as a junkie, is just mesmerizing. His he be- absolutely nails it. Um, and Marlon Wayans, if if you know if you were to say to someone, "Oh, I've actually seen a great Marlon Wayans performance," you're not lying. It's there in Requiem for a Dream. Well, I don't think many people who wouldn't watch that sort of thing would know
1: of Marlon Wayans' performance in that. You know, they're used to seeing him in something like white chicks scary movies scary movie and all that but actually he did a decent po- i'm not sure why he didn't follow that route he's gone obviously gone back to similar sort of acting i guess it, that's where the money is really, i was gonna say it? easy money yeah so you know and as much as i'd like to talk about marlon wayans for the rest of the the podcast we're not going to we're going to talk about star wars and as loath as i am to talk about star wars i'm not the greatest fan of star wars i think they're okay by the way um star wars nine which is The film that's after the one that's not even out yet. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Star Wars 9 has lost its director, which is Colin Trevorrow over creative differences. Let's put
0: that in little brackets. Or even it's the film after the film that hasn't come out yet after the film that hasn't come out yet because there's the Han Solo. Oh, of course the offshoot. The yeah, Han it, Solo. I, I know it's hard to keep track of all the different star Wars these days. I, I,
1: I struggle myself. Um, the, the Han Solo project, which I, I, I guess is not canonist. Well, it is canonistic, but it's an offshoot, shall we say a little yeah. side project. So it's not actually part of the main saga.
0: No, it's, it's, it's not part of the, it's not an episode right, is, okay. is how they divide it. I think.
1: And, and, equally it's funny you mentioned that han solo's film had trouble as well
0: uh, also i believe there were creative differences <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and in this case it was phil lord and chris miller now those two are known for 21 jump street the lego movie and the lego movie and they obviously have a certain style about them and from what i've read a certain technique and a little bit of a prima donna sort of attitude allegedly let's put that word in there so we don't get sued on the first podcast um and they were asked to, to leave the Han Solo project over creative differences, which I assume would have been that they were trying to put their unique stamp on the film and it just didn't sit right with Disney, who own Lucasfilms, who have the rights to, to Star Wars.
0: Well, yeah, they've they've quite carefully cultivated a brand with the Star Wars films. Um, and so I can see why they wouldn't want to abandon that.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I do understand to have that through line, but doesn't it, sort of null the artist as a person really you know that you have to stick within these it's like coloring in isn't it you can't go outside the lines and make it a bit creative paint by numbers yes just i was having a very interesting conversation on twitter this week with someone and they got quite passionate not upset but very passionate about the fact that i was deriding that there was no you know artistry in in the star wars films and, and that, that had long left uh the star wars franchise because and and this is me sort of being provocative here star wars ultimately is a franchise that is steeped in nostalgia was originally conceived to sell toys and merchandise yeah and you know i i'm glad it works for a lot of people and don't get me wrong I can watch a Star Wars film. I think that some of them are better than others and they're they're fine. But for me, there's just that something missing whereby they all have to stick within a certain remit. And I like my films to actually play with their tones. I like to play with their atmosphere. I like to play with their styles. And for me, it's just like someone baking a cookie but sometimes it gets a bit more burnt than others but it's still within that cookie cutter shape and i I struggle with that i don't know what your thoughts are on on that sort of thing Mike. quite
0: quite similar if i'm honest um it's i i i i like the star wars films again they're 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 fine but i prefer my sci-fi to be a bit more provocative or a bit more thought provoking um i like the intelligent stuff that is out there um and it's one where once again not to spend the whole episode just bashing on the original star wars trilogy which is just going to get us killed <laughs> yeah, online I, I think it will but we've lost that one listener that's already <laughs> tuned in. sorry um it's one where the original trilogy it it um it sort of it steals and all all good art steals from and and is inspired by others hmm. but to me it just felt quite familiar I'd come across the storylines in fantasy novels and okay. things like that. Well,
1: obviously, Star Wars was a novel in the first place or has has its roots in a book form, I believe. I, I don't know this. Some, some Star Wars geek is going to furiously tweet me and yeah. correct me in a minute. Actually, I think you'll find. <laughs> and um, I believe it does have its roots in, in some sort of novel source, some sort of book. And... Yes, you're right. It is derivative, but then you know we can say that about an awful lot of. Yeah, stars, like I say, all,
0: all, all art is 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 you know. There's the famous saying about there are only ten stories in the world, and and every story is just an amalgamation or taking bits and you know.
1: Well, Colin Trevorrow, ciao. Now, Colin Trevorrow has several films that are sort of poorly received, shall we say? Uh, the last film was i want to say horrid henry but it, it wasn't it was this film with naomi watts and it was the book of henry the book of henry now a lot of people came out and said that um that was i don't know was like one of the worst films of the year
0: i read a lot of scathing things about that film yeah
1: and then before that actually what i do enjoy colin trevorrow's well, the first film I saw by him was Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a wonderful science fiction story and just had a very obviously indie feel about it. It was on a quite a small budget. If you do get a chance to see that out and about on streaming, please please do watch it because it is actually a decent Colin Trevorrow film.
0: It's great. Um, it's it's one of the things that I think is, is a bit strange in the industry today is that essentially he went from doing Safety Not Guaranteed the next film he booked was jurassic world which is this massive mega blockbuster so do, you, do
1: you think that's a case of too much too soon you know
0: for someone i, like I, that? I think it does have an effect because the the other example that springs to mind is josh trank
1: oh yeah of course josh trank now his first film was chronicle i've
0: got it up there on the shelf actually which is a great film yes. um it was one where i'd got quite bored with found footage and that managed to bring something new to it it it. It did
1: something completely different for it and it it was quite enjoyable in fact that those teens were allowed to be beyond what i don't I, i guess what teenagers are in in stable films which is quite a safe sort of environment but this this film went off in directions that almost reminded me of things like akira um and it was quite violent in places. I had to get cut down for a twelve certificate in the UK. There is a fifteen version on the DVD, by the way, if you wanted to watch that. But there were some moments in there which were quite, well, I'd say, visceral. You know, is you know, horrible, gory moments. And- Definitely,
0: it's it's also one where I think the it's not just the the physical violence or things like that. It has quite a dark tone. It has some serious psychological sort of thoughts and discussions that about what affects people's actions will have on young
1: people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as, as you know, as, as a, as a director, he went from that very, I'd say small film, but sort of independent spirited film. And he went on to do a massive blockbuster once again, which was the Fantastic Four reboot, which is a, is a franchise that's been, you know, chucked against the wall, stamped on, put in the bin, <laughs> taken out of the bin again, and uh, have a new sheen put on it. But um, to keep the rights, yeah, well, allegedly, abs- allegedly so. Um I, I quite enjoyed the reboot, if I'm honest with you. Obviously, there were loads of faults in it, uh, but in terms of superhero films you know what? It was okay. And I, I don't take these sort of things that seriously. I'm not a fan of superhero films, along with Star Wars, so maybe there's a, a, a thread there. But I thought it passed two hours, and it was absolutely fine. There were there were obviously things uh, that I, di- I disliked about it, but for, for that sort of film, I, my expectations were completely met.
0: For me, it was one that it felt like there was a better film in there somewhere, it just wasn't allowed to come to us it wasn't allowed to reach the screen and so whether that's the director whether that's studio interference we don't know but it it felt slightly stunted
1: okay for me no fair enough fair enough but josh trank is another example of someone who has been booted off uh their a a project sorry not booted off but have gone from a very small film to a large film and then failed Perhaps, to their detriment to their yeah. detriment, too much too soon
0: um
1: and so yeah are we looking forward to the next star wars film
0: i mean i am a little bit if only because it's directed by rian, uh, johnson. rian johnson who is is such a, a a love of mine brick is one of my all-time favorite films top five of all time i right. think okay. uh the even the the brothers bloom which Mixed reviews and not a lot of people liked. I still really enjoy.
1: But as a director, Ian Johnson, to go from those type of films to this, once again, is a bit of a jump,
0: really. Well, it's one where I think he's worked his way up a bit more because you have Brick, you have Brothers Bloom, then you had Looper, which obviously is, oh, okay. is yes. quite a big sort of budget film. Mm. Um, and again, quite intelligent sci-fi. Yep. So I, I, I'm hopeful as to what he can bring to the Star Wars universe.
1: Well, let's let's hope that he can do some good. I'm not... That bothered about the next Star Wars film, of course, I'll watch it to see what happens. It's a bit like watching the next episode in a soap opera. Um, you just want to find out the end of the story ultimately so yes that's that was the news for this week. now, another section that uh, we're going to talk about, and this is kind of unique to our podcast. I haven't heard it on on many podcasts, probably because in terms of by the time we've spoken about this today, it'll already be slightly, slightly out of, of date, date almost. Yeah, but at least we could talk about it um. We're going to talk about festivals and it's uh, one of the things I believe is sort of missed out in, in film podcasts. Um, and we are now in that sort of final run towards the Oscars. Uh, obviously, film festivals go on throughout the whole of the year. And Cannes, for me, is one of the standout, if not the film festival to watch as a tentpole for other other festivals to follow, to then pick up certain films throughout the year, and, and and it can, I think, the standard is is there. It's a it's a prestigious event with prestigious films, and of course there are other festivals for that, things like Sundance. Uh, but for me, they are more slightly frivolous affairs. Um, they have younger directors, and don't get me wrong, young young people can produce prestigious films and amazing works and amazing works but i I just don't think they have necessarily the same heft uh as uh the films that show at can and for me this year's can was particularly good in terms of its content i'm not sure if anything's going to filter down from that Um, the one film that did win the grand jury prize this year was the square which I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's by, I want to say Ruben Osterland. I know his surname is Osterland. And it did a screening at the Film 4 big screen in London over the summer as part of their events. I don't think it's out in the UK until next year, although other territories will have it uh, over the course of the next few weeks. And it it is tipped for uh, best foreign language Oscar. Um, And I don't know if you've seen Osterland's previous work, which is Force Majeure.
0: Uh, no that's that's one that it's i i should have watched by now it's okay. it's available for me to watch and i just haven't got round to it despite all the good things i've heard it's, it's it's a really really good film in terms of a moral dilemma
1: whereby a avalanche happens and the father decides to make a decision when an avalanche happens on a ski resort and that colors the rest of the film and it's sort of a family drama, but also looking at what one would do in that particular situation. Um, it made me think I watched it with my parents who had very, very different views on it because it was a family unit and the father was making decisions. So my dad had a certain point of view. I guess I saw myself as perhaps a child looking at my father going, Why did you make that decision? And then my mum sort of had a joke with my dad about the whole decision making process i'm try- i'm deliberately skirting around what the decision is um, so wisely that, yes. so, so you can go and enjoy it and that, that's actually that's one thing i do want to come on to the film seekers podcast is here not to spoil film so we will try our utmost to not spoilerize any films we want you to go out there watch them enjoy them come back tell us what you thought about them but not tarnish them in any particular way
0: it's one that i think is it's quite easy to to spoil things these days where there is such a wealth of information but personally i really like to go into a film not knowing as much about it um it's i i am very resentful to to anyone who who spoils things for me so i wouldn't want to do that to you
1: no likewise i i, I will consciously not come out and, and say something that will spoilerise a film, apart from the fact that Darth Vader is Luke's father. There we go. Sorry, guys. Oh. <laughs> Big news. Um, so on to our festival news then for this week. Venice Film Festival is currently going on as we are recording this. Venice Film Festival runs from the 30th of August to 9th of September. And this year they have quite the jury. We'll be looking at names earlier, Mike, and one of my favourites is there, Annette Benning. Uh, who else is on the panel? Um, you've also got Rebecca Hall, who I
0: think is just an amazing, amazing actress. She is
1: fantastic. Now, I saw the film Christine last year, and that was a real-life story of whereby a news anchor <laughs> committed suicide. That's, that's, that's not that's, a spoiler. That's, that's well documented. That's, that's very well documented, but that's not really what the film concerns is about. It concerns itself about the, the journey from point A to point B. And I, I thought her performance in that was absolutely breathtaking, and it really did display the female condition particularly in that time and and what drove her to to make that decision in her life Edgar Wright I can see is on there we've already spoken about him today there's a couple of other people there's an actress Anna Mugalis. Uh, Muglalis. Once again, we're going to struggle with names here, uh, Yeah,
0: apologise to, to anyone who actually knows how to pronounce these words.
1: But there's quite a mix of people. There's directors, there, there are critics on there, there are producers as well. And they have actually awarded some of the prizes. So this is breaking news to us, this will be old news to you by the time you hear it. The Gold Lion, which is the, the Grand Prize Award, is the best film of, of the festival, has gone to Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water which is one film that I'm really really looking forward to seeing.
0: Me too. It it looks it has echoes of Pan's Labyrinth for me, which to in my opinion is is his best film to date. Not that I don't love all of his films because all of his films have something in them, but but Pan's Labyrinth is is just such a absolutely amazing film that anything that that seems sort of thematically similar it just intrigues me.
1: I think I think Pan's Labyrinth for me once the first time I watched that film, I instantly knew that it would stay with me and become an instant classic, and not just for myself, for everyone around me i, I watched it with a group of people, and their faces afterwards was, they, they knew that they had seen a stone cold classic and I, I think that film will definitely hold up when we look back on it thirty forty years' time It is a coming of age story but
0: with a fairy tale sort of background
1: and i love the undercurrent of the war going on yeah as well. there's, as a, some, there's a slight sort of socio-realist that, yeah. Yeah. sort of
0: element to it with the uh, fascists
1: in spain mm. i just think all round in terms of writing and directing that film is nigh on perfect for me so yeah uh, the shape of water guillermo del toro's film what, took the ground the, the best film at, uh, at venice this year And stars Sally Hawkins, I believe,
0: in the lead role. Again, who is just brilliant and deserves more recognition and reward than I think she's had. Oh,
1: I I absolutely agree with that. I saw her with Ethan Hawke this year in a film called Maudie, which is about a, a famous American painter who lived quite a sheltered life and had a very, I would say, abnormal relationship with her husband, uh well worth watching not only for sally hawkins fantastic performance where she changes her body shape just to get into character it's absolutely she's hunched over at points it's just like nothing you'd seen before and and this is what i like about sally hawkins she she often throws herself into her roles you look at her early work like happy go lucky and you think you think to yourself wow you know how did she get get into that she's she's chameleonic
0: almost yeah another one um andrea riseborough for me like the two of them both they like you say they disappear into their roles oh
1: and that's great when an actor or an actress can do that is you're no longer thinking that's jennifer lawrence or you know brad pitt Pitt, or Pitt or something
0: tom cruise being tom cruise when it when that person
1: goes granular as i say and by that i mean you know like Sweeping in a load of sugar into your cup of hot tea, when that person disappears into the background in that film, and you can really get into the story, that, that also obviously helps. Uh, the Silver Lion win- winner at um, Venice this year was a film called Foxtrot by Samuel Samuel mouse I, I, I don't don't think I've seen anything by him. Was he? Uh,
0: his previous work is Lebanon, Lebanon, which I believe won either the Silver or Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival the year it was released.
1: Oh wow so he's a he's a double time winner then. Um and Foxtrot is a film as a family drama essentially and it follows a family uh whose son is an isolated military post and uh, that's that's generally the idea of the story apart from that i'm 'm afraid i don't really know that much more um unfortunately we're not that much of a fountain of knowledge, but other films that are showing at Venice this year include well we've we've got a list in front of us, Is there anything that's standing out
0: for you at the moment, Mike. Uh, one that stood out to me was uh, it's called Outrage Coda, which is the third in a trilogy. I, I'll be honest; I had no knowledge of this trilogy. Outrage Coda. Uh, the orig- the first is Outrage, then there is Beyond Outrage, Beyond, and then Outrage Coda. Uh, and the reason I am aware of them is because they start the amazing Beat Takeshi. Ah, Beat Takeshi. So these are a sequence of Japanese films? Yes, I believe so. With possibly, at least in this one, some South Korean influence as well, or, or setting.
1: Okay. Uh, once again, one of your passions. South- yes, South- exactly. South Korean cinema what about north korean cinema have you not delved into that yet
0: haven't really seen much um i'm not sure if there's much going on in north korean cinema we we may find out one day you never know
1: we, we, we may well do uh, maybe a couple of films about nuclear war or something like that um,
0: or, or for example the um the films that kim jong-il made the, the propaganda films well that and the he he kidnapped Famous South Korean actors and, and forced them oh, to make to films. films. I, I think largely for his own edification and wow. entertainment. There could be some undiscovered gems out there. You never know. Mm. I, I doubt it. I doubt it, but you never well. know.
1: I, I doubt it. I think the only thing we're going to see out of North Korea anytime soon is probably uh, a nuclear bomb and then there'll be a film, Mad Kim or something, and Mad Kim 2 <laughs> Beyond Thunderdome, uh, where we live in a post apocalyptic world and it'll be actually a, a mixture between
0: film and reality. It's one that it's just it's very hard for me. I know he's the son, but it's very hard for me to distance from the um, Team America. I know Kim Jong Il. That
1: that film's gone beyond pastiche now, hasn't it? It's actually you know solidified itself as almost a reality, and we could say the same thing about American politics at the moment. But we we will cover that i'm sure in due course um the other film festival you want to talk about this week is toronto now toronto once again overlaps with venice it is running from the 7th to the 17th of september and there are quite a few films on its list that uh are standing out to us is there anything on the gala presentations at all mike that uh sort of is piquing your fancy shall we
0: say uh well I actually just sort of looked through a, a wide list of the films uh, screening at Toronto. Uh, okay. It's one where it was something I was unaware of at the time, but uh, one third of the films selected for the Toronto Film Festival are uh, helmed or directed by women.
1: Oh, that that's, that's a really positive...
0: Step for a film festival to, to take. You know, because uh, again, representation for for female directors is, is another key issue. Sure, we,
1: we, we talk about representation all the time in the film industry. We obviously talk about whitewashing at the start of the show. And female representation in film has become such a talking point, really. It's interesting, we're going to be talking about Detroit, directed by Catherine Bigelow a bit later on today. And for a film festival like that to take the steps to ensure that there is a good amount of representation in terms of genders at their film festivals is just fantastic.
0: Yeah, it, it's one where they're they're clearly attempting to address the issue. It's, it's an ongoing issue. This isn't going to fix it in one go, but they are trying to do something about it. And so I think that is something that, that should be applauded. At the same time, we shouldn't rest on our laurels. We should keep pushing forwards. But when someone does take a step in the right direction they they should be recognized for it and and i think toronto has definitely done that yeah um so what i did was i picked uh three films all of them directed by uh females uh so the first one is uh dark river right which is the new film from cleo barnard yeah uh, so director of the selfish giant and uh stars ruth wilson Oh, Ruth Wilson, who we saw in
1: well, The Lone Ranger is probably the film that most people will go to as uh, the wife of one of the main central characters in that film. That's probably that's the prob- love interest. That's probably in- the, the the international take that everyone will know Ruth Wilson from that film. The other thing that international audience probably know Ruth Wilson from is Luther. Yeah. Being the psychotic friend slash stalker. Of uh, Idris Elba's central character of Luther, I'm trying to think of some other things that uh, Ruth Wilson's been in. She's been in the the scary thing that lives under the stairs. I can't remember the name of the titles. Netflix original. It's I a am horror. the
0: pretty thing that lives in the shadows. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that. <laughs> We're just making up our own film. Between the two of us, we've got the title. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an amalgamation. There, so it's, it's
1: a mashup it's, of the two. It's somewhere there. in there, isn't it? Uh, is there anything else on on? So what's what are your other picks
0: then? Uh, so another one was a film called I Am Not a Witch which is by Rungani Nioni. Again, okay. I apologise for my pronunciation there. And, and why should we be interested in this uh, one? It's, it's quite an interesting concept. It's a, a young girl is accused of being a witch. She lives in a tribe where this is taken seriously. Oh,
1: okay. So this is based in what, South America or uh, Africa? It's, it's
0: Africa. Africa, okay. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm not sure of the, the country exactly. Right, okay. But um, yeah, so she is accused of being a witch. Uh, she is found guilty at a sort of kangaroo court trial right and um she is exiled to a witch camp
1: oh that sounds like something i don't want to attend witch camp <laughs> it's not gonna be like fat camp or anything like that it, is it?
0: it it sounds one i i think it's possibly it, it goes to again the the issue of of um women and and you know if you look back historically at witch trials things like that they were often about female sexuality or okay. female empowerment mm. or the fear thereof and so i think this is something that that will sort of tie into that and look into that perhaps in africa today
1: okay well this, this is an interesting transposing an idea that we saw on screen in a film that we particularly like the witch a couple of years ago the uh, david yeah. eggers uh, first feature robert eggers robert eggers see i'm getting all the names wrong today robert eggers film uh first feature for him r- r-
0: super super impressive absolutely amazing um, It's one of my films of of last year yeah
1: and it, it's it's on um it's on the website on filmseekers.com you can look up our list of uh the best films uh that we thought top 10 for last year that's definitely in there uh, i believe in top five in fact um just mind-blowingly good in terms of technique and in terms of explaining a story Anya taylor joy in the central role completely believable
0: yeah and and captivating presence as well i found i just she was so hard to take your eyes off when she was on the screen
1: yes she's she's got certain amount of she's got certain features
0: about her that are quite unique as well as yeah there's and there's a poise to her i think Uh, certainly in that film as well that just yeah it was it was perfect for the role
1: okay and so
0: this film i am not a witch yeah, I'm not a witch by Rangani Nyoni.
1: Okay, it's it's definitely on my list now. Now, what's your third film like?
0: Uh, so the other film is uh, the directorial debut of Greta Gerwig. Ooh, hello. Yes, uh, it's called Lady Bird, and it stars Saoirse Ronan, who again is another actress. I would I would watch that. I would watch her read the newspaper. I would watch her read the phone book. I think she is just magnetic and and just fascinating to watch I,
1: I, I would say have you seen the last Ed Sheeran video with her in no, I would I, I would have watched that again if okay. I were you know, I mean, you just said you'd watch or read the phone book I would not even watch the Ed Sheeran okay. video it. it's, it's terrible um I do agree. Sesha Ronan is uh, just a brilliant screen presence. I loved her in the Granbury de Pest Hotel. How I Live Now was that post-apocalyptic film. Uh, Hannah as well. Hannah, her debut, Joe Wright.
0: At um, such a young age, to to knock a performance like that out of the park is just so impressive.
1: And I actually saw it at London Film Festival a couple of years ago. Was Brooklyn now... A lot of people might pass that film off as Saturday matinee sort of affairs with for slightly older people, but her performance in that was just mind-blowingly good. It just got across the passion in, in in the correct manner of making a heartbreaking decision. And yeah, as you said, she has that magnetic quality about her. I just feel that she can, especially in Hannah, where she conveyed someone who was going under a lot of duress, I
0: would say. Yeah, it, it it's quite sort of, out there yet she managed to ground it and make it very believable
1: absolutely and she, yeah she's fantastic so Sir Ronan who's in uh, uh, Lady Bird
0: Lady Bird is that one word or is that two words uh, two words two words Lady um, Bird yeah and I, I believe my it looks like it's perhaps loosely based on the director's own past experiences okay um sort of growing up it's it's sort of the the cusp between teenage and adulthood and, okay. and the sort of the difficulties therein
1: it wouldn't be called ladybird in the in the states, by the way. I've just, just thought about this. Ladybird in the states uh, doesn't mean the insect, does it? They call them ladybugs. Yeah. So it would work for the UK. We call them ladybirds, by the way. Oh, um, but, but perhaps Greta has has a love of of British culture. Who we? Yeah, she we she, just has, she, know. she just has an English dictionary there um, that has British English in it. Um, but yes, Greta Gerwig, she's worked with an awful lot of people, and and you would have thought that. The, the director she's worked with, she would have picked up a thing or two. I saw her this year. She's in one of, I'm classing it as this year, by the way, 20th century women, Annette Benning.
0: Yeah, Annette Benning. El Fanning. El. Fanning. There you go. Sorry, I completely blanked on her name. Yeah. Three amazing actresses, all three of them. Fantastic actress.
1: Actually, a film that's driven by three female characters, written and directed by a man. From a man's point of view, I found it incredibly believable. Um, I'd love to hear what... Uh, any women out there think about 20th century women i would love to hear your views get in contact with us hello at filmseekers.com let us know what you thought about 20th century women where you thought the portrayal of female characters in that film was believable whether you were taken in by the story we'd love to hear from you uh, but for me that was almost 10 out of 10 for me just and especially certain part of it that hit me right in the in the feels in the feels, right as there. They say. Um, that's. There, they are
0: three great films to look out for. Mike. And I, I easily could have picked more. I was, I was trying to constrain myself you, to not take up too much time. Would you like to give us a, a bit of a sort of
1: rundown of those
0: three films again, just so everyone can yep. put them on their list? So that was Dark River. Yep. Uh, I am not a witch. Okay. And Lady Bird. And Lady Wants to watch in the in the upcoming months.
1: Okay. So that those are three films that are at t- Toronto uh, this week now. Our final part of our festival section, and I know we've gone on a little bit, but uh, is London Film Festival. Now, it's a little bit ahead. I know there's New York Film Festival in, in between that, just a little bit beforehand. London Film Festival is from the 4th of October to the 15th of October. And uh, we have... Shall we shall we break this news now? I've been quite excited to break this news. I think, think we news. should, if um, only because I'm struggling to contain it. Oh, okay, right. Um, well... We will be in attendance at London Film Festival, Um, primarily myself, but also Mike will have a part to
0: play in it. Uh, i will be uh, popping my festival cherry as it were oh
1: yes because you haven't actually I, i've never problem.
0: been to a film festival right. and so this year's lff will be my first and i'm so excited about oh, it brilliant um, I'm, i will even unfurl my left
1: pocket and you can hold that pocket as we go into the cinema just as my little lackey oh that'll be nice for you i'll, I'll look after you Mike. I'll don't gaze worry Gaze up wonderstruck <laughs> which that is an interesting segue into, inadvertently <laughs> into our first film uh we've 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 got the schedule in front of us that we're going to see. We're not going to be there for the entirety. We're not made of money, unfortunately. If someone wants to give us a load of money, you can sponsor us, get in touch. Hello at filmseekers.com. We're going to just tell you a few of the films that we're going to see during the course of uh, the time that we're there. We're there for six days, and uh, Mike is only there for one of them, unfortunately. Uh, But beforehand, we actually have... access to some of the films that are going to be playing outside of our time at London and hopefully we're going to be watching them talking about them on the next podcast as well as we lead up we're going to do a little bit of a build up to London Film Festival to get you all excited and also just get some films on your radar and maybe even entice you to go and see once again films out of outside of your comfort zones and seek those films uh, for want of a better term. So on the Sunday I am going to see Wonderstruck which is the latest Todd Haynes film. That Todd Haynes uh, did Carol a couple of years back with Rooney Mara, Far From Heaven, Far from heaven. with Julianne Moore. Oh uh, yes. Great great back catalog. Absolutely fantastic back catalog. And also Kate Blanchett in, was in that that film as well. Um and then of that evening, I am going to see Manifesto. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Mike. It's not one I'm aware of. No. Okay, so this is a, I believe, a 90-minute or so film, and it just has Cate Blanchett in. So that's why I'm tying it in, by the way. Um, just, and, and that's enough, to be honest. <laughs> that is, it just has Cate Blanchett as, as a chameleonic actress. Basically, it's just her in a series of vignettes in
0: different sequences for the entirety of the film so Kate Blanchett as almost as Kate Blanchett essentially. Um uh, yeah, I, I it's a chameleonic screen presence, Well, you know.
1: once again, yes. But uh, yeah, Manifesto, uh, I believe there's a Q&A
0: afterwards, so hopefully
1: you might be able to listen in and maybe even put my hand up and answer a really boring question like how did you get your hair to do that oh, whatever it, maybe you, i hate those kind of people at festivals you do get them um yeah so i'll be seeing manifesto on that night we're not going to go through the entire list i'm just going to pick out a few sort of highlights on there blade of the immortal i am really looking forward to keshi Mike? i believe Mike, yes Mike is the
0: correct term so japanese director famous for Uh, So many, uh, over a hundred films directed. Uh, What I'm most known for is the 13 Assassins. 13 Assassins. So the Blade of the Immortal we're going to see on the Monday night. And then just sort of
1: going throughout the course of the week, Last Flag Flying's in there, and that's the Richard Linklater film with... Steve Carell in a serious-ish role? Steve
0: Carell, Brian Cranston, and Larry Fishburne, as I like to to call him. You're on on First Name Terms? It it was his first screen credit was in uh, One of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, and he's listed as Larry Fishburne, and so since then I've struggled to to disassociate that. Okay, so
1: uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fishburne in Last Fag Flying. Um, A couple of... Is there anything that... Actually, you're there for one day, Mike, so you're there on the Wednesday with me. Um, Do you want to talk about any of the films that you're going to see in particular? Uh,
0: so, yes, the one I would most like to speak about is a film called Thoroughbred, which is the one that's got me most intrigued. Um, it's from a first time writer director. Okay. Um, but has uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Okay, so from The Witch and Olivia Cook, who you'll probably know from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. She was also in The
1: Limehouse Golem, which came out a couple of weeks ago in the UK, a horror film that previewed, sorry, premiered at Toronto the previous year.
0: Um, And it's one that it has, uh, I don't want to say too much about the plot, uh, but it is to do with two girls who were friends when they were younger and they reconnect in uh, at a later stage in their life. Okay, so it's kind of like a, a catching up, a reunion of sorts. Yeah, but with with some dark undertones. Oh, okay, so we'll, and, we'll just park that one there. We'll, then. we'll leave it at that, but it, it, it looks slightly weird and, and off the beaten track, and those tend to be the films that I quite respond to. And Thoroughbred um, is actually in competition, uh, I believe, as part of... Uh, the
1: various film strands that are at London Film Festival is actually playing in competition. One one film that's really kind of standing out for me on, on the list, um, I haven't got a ticket yet for it, so fingers crossed or will I will either be able to see it before we go, is Journeyman. And that's had quite a journey, man. Mm. um to the screen it is the directorial debut of paddy considine as a boxer is this ringing any bells for you
0: yeah yeah very much so Uh, I, i love paddy considine so anything the man is doing is instantly on my radar paddy considine has done so many different roles obviously
1: um most notoriously famous for the shane meadows film uh, once again that Dead, Man's, Dead Shoes, Man's Shoes which is, we- is
0: what I, I first became okay. aware of him from and it's such a knockout film oh,
1: it's absolutely brutal and and that the, the the twist in that just really takes you doesn't it
0: yeah um, and and he he plays his character he's quite menacing at parts but you're still fully on his side yeah which I, I think goes to 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 Considine it's it's you know it's a testament to his charisma to his his charm and character I I completely agree. I, I love Paddy
1: Constantine. I think the British public love Paddy Constantine. He's even admitted to doing crappy films just so he can pay the bills. And he seems a very down to earth, sort of grounded guy. You know, he doesn't see. He can't quite believe he's an actor to an extent. But he, what an actor! Um, yeah, very much looking forward to his debut. Their journeyman, and obviously we will talk in depth in the coming weeks. Going ad nauseum, into, ad nauseum indeed. Going into London. With all the films that we are going to see, and maybe even give you a couple of previews, won't spoil them or anything at all like that. Just give you a little bit of a taste of, of maybe a film that you might want to go and see at London Film Festival going into that week.
0: Try and get you um, excited about them the way we are excited about them. And we are very excited Indeed. about it
1: this year. Yes, absolutely. We're both going to be there. So, yeah, keep it locked onto filmseekers.com. We're going to take a break now. Uh, we'll be right back after this.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, look, no, no, let's no, no. talk stop, about stop, this minutiae shut, shut, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder who shut the cat God watches. damn it, shut I up. Think I think that's enough. All. my God,
1: They go are the first time watchers. And they are probably about three people who got me into podcasting in the first place, so you can uh, direct your abuse at them. Or thanks. Or thanks, or thanks, preferably thanks. Uh, They are Walter, Tim, and Hermando, as you heard there, and they are a fantastic podcast. Please go and check them out, first-time watchers. Now, as you're all new to this, we're new to this as well. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be talking about the UK Top 10 at the box office.
0: The UK Box Office Top 10 Countdown.
1: Yeah, this is the section whereby we will be going through the films from 10 to 1 uh, that were at the UK box office over a certain time period. And time period was last weekend. It will be a little bit outdated by the time you hear it. But at least we're discussing some of the more contemporary films that are out there at the moment. So at number 10,
0: Mike. Is Girls Trip? Now, what do you know about Girls Trip? Uh, not a lot, as I ha- I haven't seen it, but it's one that I know was getting quite good reviews uh, when it came out. Uh, Robbie Collin was, who's a film reviewer for, I believe, the Telegraph. Yes, he is. Yes, uh, and and he's 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 on Twitter. He's he's on all the social media. Yeah, if you want, want to, Colin, to follow him, way. he 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 is great. Um, and it's one that he he was quite positive about, which definitely put it on my radar.
1: Okay, um, Girls Trip. I believe it's something like a crossover between sort of the hangover and some sort of uh, socio statement of sorts is it has that gross out sort of element to it
0: um I believe so quite quite gross from what I've heard like <laughs> they, they push it quite far, but at the same time just to get to see uh for african-american women playing these roles that traditionally are the 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 white male roles you know the 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 misbehaving tends to be your sort of your frat boys your your man childs and and so to to flip that on its head and and have women doing that in and of itself is is something i think that's quite good and quite needed
1: i i absolutely a, a agree uh, i think those type of films especially in uh, in the states where uh bl- black black women aren't represented enough you know, for this film to actually sit for six weeks in the UK box office is quite a testament, really, because, you know, African-American-centric films tend not to actually even get theatrical distribution in the UK. Talk about a lot of... Even that Beyonce film just came and went those sort of films don't resonate because i guess we don't have that sort of target audience but even though we don't have that sort of target audience it's it's just proven that films like girls trip actually
0: can stay in there clearly is an audience for for those films not necessarily of 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 the same as would be in america But but there is an audience for those films.
1: Um, absolutely. So number nine is The Limehouse Golem. I didn't see this. My my parents, in fact, went to go see it on my behalf in a couple of previews that I was unable to attend. My mum I spoke to last night, she said it was a bit gory. And I, I pressed her on the twist and she said, I didn't see the twist coming. I couldn't believe it. My dad said he saw the twist coming a mile off. Uh, it was so obvious, uh, his words. He said... It was a bit gory, but I did enjoy it, and I did enjoy trying to find out who done it because it is a mystery murder film set in Victorian England with Bill Nighy and Olivia Cook, who we spoke about about *Thoroughbred* a minute ago.
0: Yeah, and uh, Daniel Mays and Douglas Booth, and and again, so many talented people involved. Loads of lo, the cream of British
1: acting, indeed, is, is right there. Number eight is *Detroit*. Now we're going. We're not going to talk about this an awful lot because we're actually going to come on to this
0: in a few moments because Uh, we we will talk about it an awful lot in the main feature section
1: now detroit's been knocking around it says for two weeks here it's probably going to be in there for maybe even a third week by the time this podcast comes out we both have differing views on it which we're going to come on to in a minute so we're just going to glaze over to number 7 which is Despicable Me 3. Uh, Everyone's back those minions which you love Mike I
0: believe you love them so much that yeah, you, you... massive fan I'm not sure how how sarcasm comes across there but I'd, I enjoyed the first Despicable Me film um, I clocked out after the minions started becoming more and more of a focus they just, they just don't do it for me. See I've taken the opposite sort of approach to this
1: one I didn't see any of the despicable me films at all uh but i made an effort to go and see the minions film uh, which i thoroughly enjoyed because i I just think that the minions themselves are just very very knowing as characters they are clearly steeped in silent comedy Uh, a lot of the slapstick comes from like buster keaton a bit of chaplin thrown in there and I, I do think they are quite silly, literate characters. Maybe I'm looking into... Mike, you're looking at me as if I'm looking into this far too much.
0: There's... Uh, all I've got ringing in my head is, ha <laughs> ha bottom. Okay. Which it's kind of hard to argue that point against.
1: Yeah, okay. Look, th- th- it was enjoyable, okay? I went to go and see it on my own. Daytime screening. There weren't many children about. It's fine for a grown man to go and see that sort of thing.
0: And I know you're not the only grown-up who who has enjoyed Dominion, so it's it's, it's perhaps unfair of me to cast them... In that light, as, as something, say, just for children, they, they clearly play well with a wide audience.
1: And look, they've done really well over the summer. They've been in the UK top 10 for 10 weeks now, uh, grossing 45 million, which is a huge amount for the UK box office.
0: Uh, not only that, I believe the Despicable Me series is the most profitable animated franchise to date.
1: We're clearly in the wrong business here, aren't we? (laughs)
0: Um, Number six is Annabelle Creation, which is another
1: uh, chapter in the Annabelle series, a series of horror horror films revolving around a creepy doll. Not at all like Charles' play. In fact, actually, this one isn't as animated as Chucky, but this one sits in a box, I believe. Um, I haven't seen Creation. I've heard a lot of people say that it has something more to it than your run-of-the-mill horror film. I'd like to believe that. It's not high on my priority list to, to get that scene, but that's Annabelle Creation number six. Number five, Logan Lucky. The review of which is up on com. Please go on there, have a read on that one. It's been in the UK charts for two weeks. I believe it's going to pretty much drop out by the time uh, this podcast goes out on air. Number five, The Emoji Movie. Uh, <laughs> what's what what's more to say about The Emoji Movie? Um, it's has been in the box office for five weeks. Critically it has been panned, to to put it like Savaged, I think, would be a good word. (laughs) Um, But it's doing what it needed to do. It's appealing to that audience of people who don't want to think about something, of children who's brightly colored you know bright colors bright and colors and loud, noises. loud noises that sort of thing appeals to it's doing the business it's number four of the Emoji movie i think we're going to see that drop out very quickly now that all the children have gone back to school
0: it's made a lot of money you you know you can't argue with that sort of base level it is hitting the marks it needs to hit yeah, i'm sure patrick stewart's very happy with the paycheck he took home and i hope it was a good paycheck <laughs> i don't begrudge him it <laughs> no. because if anyone deserves a nice paycheck it is that man so i i, I hope he did get paid i i hope like half the budget was was Patrick Stewart's paycheck. <laughs> and number three is the Hitman's Bodyguard. Now
1: this is a comedy action film with Samuel L. Jackson as the Hitman, the titular Hitman, and the bodyguard is Ryan Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Um, I have seen parts of this film. I haven't watched it all the way through. I don't really kind of. It's not my sort of film. I will could happily watch it. I really like Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he does do the snarky, comedic sort of chops very, very well, particularly, obviously, in Deadpool. But he does an awful lot of serious stuff as well that I I thoroughly enjoy. Buried was one of the characters. He's amazing in Buried. Yeah, I just thought, Ryan, go back to doing some of that as well. The Voices as well. The Voices. It's,
0: it's uh, such an amazing performance. Now,
1: a lot of people wrote off The Voices as just another, you know ryan reynolds doing his snarky snarky happy happy stuff but in fact the voices has tonally a lot going on in there it's very subversive yeah absolutely if you get chance to see the voices don't write it off as some sort of ryan reynolds comedy it's actually quite serious to, to the extent that it explores mental health in a way that i've never seen committed to celluloid before um so that that is the hitman's bodyguard it's at number three this week number two Dunkirk. um i think everyone has talked this one to death
0: two thumbs up from this side and two thumbs up from this side it's great see it on the biggest screen you can with the loudest sound system of course immerse yourself in that experience the way Christopher Nolan wants you to and you I think you will definitely be rewarded for it
1: I've had a little bit of kickback some some audiences some people have gone into it not being able to understand the fact that there
0: are three different timelines going on and I I can empathize that to an extent I didn't struggle to follow but at the same time I I knew a bit going in so I can see how if you didn't have that preparation it could be slightly confusing
1: yeah and I, I, I I don't think that's a trait that's uncommon in christopher nolan's films anyway he likes to you know disorientate yourself he doesn't
0: hold the audience's hand too much no
1: no absolutely but dunkirk is it's done it's done very well um i think it's probably in a poor summer for the box office It's, it's done its business it stayed in there for seven weeks it is probably the biggest film of the summer 2017 not really saying much because there hasn't, been much. Yeah, there hasn't been much out there. And at number one this week is Doug Lehman's American Made. Our review, once again, up on filmseekers.com. It has held in there for two weeks at the top of the box office. Um, Mike, have you had any thoughts about Tom Cruise in another action film that sort of, I don't know, apes a lot of other films?
0: Yeah, it's it's one that I, I don't have a burning desire to watch, but at the same time... I like Tom Cruise. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I do. Doug Lyman, again, He's he's a bit hit and miss, but he, he can make a very good film. So it's it's one that I'll maybe catch up with on home entertainment streaming.
1: Oh, yeah, I I I saw it, obviously, the reviews up there on the website. It's possible fair if I'm honest with you. Um if you're looking for something to watch on a Saturday night that you don't really want to think about the next day, or something that's not gonna stay with you particularly, it's a very tall tale told over the course of 2 hours tom cruise does what tom cruise does best and that's all you're going to get out of this film there's nothing much more in there i think doug lehman i'm not sure why he's done this film possibly for the money he's obviously
0: worked with cruise before i was going to say they may be funding edge of tomorrow 2 <laughs>
1: perhaps which
0: and, if that's the case i'm i'm absolutely fine with that edge of tomorrow
1: 2 i would very much look forward to i thought it was a fantastic action film and i think it kicked itself above other action films of its ilk and tom cruise did more than what was necessary but actually i think that the character that did it for me was actually emily blunt
0: oh who is again just amazing and um, i, I think th- she was the star of that film she was the headline t- name
1: on that film she was the star she brought that film out for me if it wasn't for the interplay between cruise and especially blunt who was more forceful in that role I don't think I would have been as
0: as happy as I was with it, but Emily uh, Blunt. Yeah, well, again, it's it's a kind of of sub of subversion where normally you have a film with Tom Cruise in. There's no way he's not the hero, and the the female is often just a love interest. Sadly, whereas this film it, it flipped that on its head. You know, there, like you say, Emily Blunt is the hero. She is the the driving force behind the film. I think she she
1: absolutely was for me. Other other films that didn't quite get into the top 10 at the UK box office over the 1st to the 3rd of September weekend. Anything on that list there that we've got in front of us, Mike, that stands out to you? Stratton was the
0: Dominic Cooper sort of action film. Which I've heard some quite bad things about. As as much as I love Dominic Cooper, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not one that particularly grabbed my attention.
1: I don't think it did particularly well. If we talk about its sort of take for the weekend... It made £27,000 out of 145 different sites. That's quite a big spread, really. It's not a, a saturation release. It's what they call sl- slightly smaller, a wider release or key city release. And if you compare that in comparison to something like Una, which is also on our list there. only played at seven sites, but it made nearly £6,000. You should do the maths there, the, the ratios are starkly different. Yeah. Uh, Una was a film that I really, really wanted to see. Um, very tough and challenging film. Ben Mendelsohn, Rooney Mara, Riz Ahmed in there. Uh, it's a story about uh, someone who was abused as as a young person going back and reuniting with the... Reconnecting, abu- almost? Yeah, reconnecting, I think is the better word to use, uh, with the abuser and the abuser then trying to deal with that as as, as, an, as an emotional catharsis for the person who was abused. Una was definitely on my list, played at London last year, and obviously Rooney Mara. It
0: just, again, just such an amazing talent. We
1: saw her earlier on this year in uh, A Ghost Story. Yeah, in which she... she- blew me away David Lowry film alongside um, Casey Affleck
0: I, I never thought watching someone eat a pie would be as as fascinating and <laughs> and hard hitting and, and you know feel so relevant to the film but it, it really did
1: no absolutely absolutely Rooney Mara is is, is top of her game really the other th- c- couple of films I wanted to just talk about that didn't get into the top 10 that we've got a list of in front of us Inhumans now we touched on this this was one with uh, Chloe Bennett uh, born Born as Wah- chloe wang um she was one of the characters in in humans now in humans is a tv series as part of the marvel cinematic universe and they decided to screen two of the first episodes in certain cinemas in key cities who knows why yeah well it went to 39 different cinemas and it took eighty pounds not huge really but you know some people might want to go and see these sort of things on a big screen it might be the only chance they ever get to see these things on a big True. screen if you're a super fan and the other films that are out there there's two actually very surprising well one's not surprising the other one is very surprising that it didn't get in there but it was quite an ambitious sort of a moment for it. And that's Patty Cakes. Now Patty Cakes is the story. I guess it's, it's being lazily dubbed as the female Eight Mile, which F- I think
0: is doing it a disservice from what I've seen.
1: And I I I agree. I I think it's probably a bit more than that. Patty Cakes went out to a huge amount of cinemas, two hundred and twenty three across the UK, which is an absolutely. It's not quite a, you know, saturation release, but it's it's very, very wide. And for an unknown quantity, and I didn't really see that much sort of advertising and marketing around it. It didn't have the best, no. As as expected, it only took £121,000 at the box office from 223 sites. The other film that we both actually got to see, and there is a review up on filmseekers.com as well, is God's Own Country. And we'd like to tell you a clip from... That particular film, where the central character Johnny Saxby is stood outside a pub, having a cigarette, and an old school friend of his who is back from university comes up and has a conversation with him. <laughs> Johnny. Night. Uh, get us a pint, now. We'll just be a sec was up with you? No. Well, do you want to tell your face? Is your dad any better?
0: Nah, he's getting on with it, you know. It
1: must be tough for you.
0: That's right. I thought once you, like, escaped to your fancy colleges and that, he'd never come back.
1: It's reading week, isn't it? You know what my mum's like. Came up with a couple of my uni mates. It makes it bearable.
0: Brought him to go up and laugh at the natives.
1: Get over yourself. You're not that interesting as a local tourist attraction. Gotta spare one of them or what? (laughs) Come on, you tight wad, I'm just a poor student. And that was a clip from God's Own. Country. That was directorial debut from a director called Francis Lee. He also wrote the screenplay as well. It's set in the north part of England. And John Saxonby, there is has inherited his father's farm uh, essentially because his father is now incapacitated because he suffers from multiple cirrhosis or has, several, has had several strokes, which has rendered him. Useless on the farm, essentially, and
0: it's it? a hard scrabble life. It's a very physical thing, so yeah, to 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 not be able to do that, yeah. And so
1: it's fallen on Johnny's shoulders to take over and look after the farm's duties. However, it's too much for Johnny. Johnny enjoys having little frissons uh, with other men uh, in the local community, covert frisants shall we say
0: uh yeah quite quite aggressive there's there's no intimacy there's no feeling in in the ones that we see it, it's just kind of it's 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 scratching an itch by and large
1: and so johnny has to um seek help or his father has sought help getting well migrant help i guess and it's a common it's a common sight on farms in the north they would get cheap labor essentially i I'm, I'm saying that not to be damning of the people themselves because the people that come over are actually as in this film has shown is a lot smarter than than the owners of these farms uh, or, or the workers on these farms like you yeah, know
0: and and they work hard because um, it's one where i would i would say it's a, a symptom of of modern agriculture you know if you think about america you have very few it, it it's mainly mexicans it's mainly migrant workers working on the farms there it's yeah, the 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 cheapness of the labour seems to be the sort of the the end goal,
1: and so the farm recruits Georgie or Georges who's a Romanian migrant, at, and to help out Johnny. And the story goes that Johnny falls in love with Georgie. The story is less about farming; there is that there in the background, but it's more about the love story between two. And once again, uh, people like to put labels on things, and this time people have called it Brokeback Mountain. I think I don't think it's any... For me, it's
0: nothing like Brokeback Mountain. Um, I, liked, I liked yours more, which was uh, the English Tom at the Farm, which I think is a far better fit. And it, it obviously doesn't have some elements of that particular film,
1: uh, but uh, it's a Xavier Dolan film, by the way. If you haven't seen it, he's a Canadian director. French-Canadian. French-Canadian director. Um, who Young ha- and... A, incredibly like talented. Offensively
0: talented, <laughs> man
1: <laughs> um if you haven't seen Tom at the farm please go and check it out i managed to actually do a, a large screen cinema screening of that and uh, the people that were there thoroughly enjoyed it. didn't know what to expect of it but um came out of it going well, i'm glad i actually saw that i really enjoyed certain elements of it and uh, yes yeah, so the dna is i think tom at the farm
0: is is, is similar thematically to- tonally i i think it shares some even though like you say they are two distinct different films and so yeah god's own country We
1: have to give it a ringing endorsement, I think. 100%. It's probably one of the best films we've seen this year by far. I think so. And um, it looks like the people who are interested in film are now going, well, hang on a minute, we need to go and see this film. Um, Certainly stuck with me in the week or two that since I've seen it, and I still have recollections of certain scenes, certain feelings during that film. That's not a thing that I actually carry with me very often, if I'm honest with you. If I've seen a film... I usually forget about certain parts of it. There's Uh, so
0: many out there and uh, and so many to watch. And so many that we do,
1: and so many that we actually do watch as well. Um, And it's quite often, we saw a film last night and it suddenly starts fading, fading very rapidly, especially if it isn't particularly good or memorable. So God's Own Country is, has been one that that's stood with me, and uh, we we, all, we both implore you to go and see it. If it's playing out in the cinemas where you are, I believe it's coming out in the States in a few weeks' time, but it's already out in Australia and obviously in the UK. If it's playing at a cinema
0: where you are, please go and support British. Or close by, you know, it, it's worth putting in a bit of effort to Absolutely. see. Absolutely, And Francis Lee as a debut, just mind-blowingly good again slightly offensively talented it's just sort of i I genuinely cannot wait to see what the man does next it is now time for well do you know what it's time for mike well i believe our main section it is and now it's time for our main feature film
1: and this is the point where we're going to discuss our main film review for today And it is Detroit, which is the latest film from Catherine Bigelow. And it follows the 1967 riots, the famous riots in Detroit, over civil rights from the black community. And this story follows not only the rioting, but a particular moment in time. And a story that not many people are aware of, whereby three African-American people were killed in a motel for a crime that they didn't commit essentially uh, the film stars Will Poulter and John Boyega in key roles uh, Will Poulter plays a policeman and John Boyega plays a security guard who uh, is looking after a store uh, and he goes over and talks to another element of authority that are out there on the streets of Detroit while well, they are the uh, national guard and uh, we're going to play you a little clip from that particular sequence where John Boyega steps out of the shop he is looking after from looters and goes and discusses with the National Guard as to what's going on at the current moment in time.
0: Hey, fellas. Melvin, there's Muse. I'm with United Security. I'm going to that grocery store across the street. i come bearing gifts. Uh-oh. Thank you. That's a nice voice. All right, stand by.
1: Hey, all things considered, this is pretty good. Thank you. I will not have my usual appliances. I mm. you got any, sugar? No, I don't push you, it, man. And it's good to have some quiet. We had Black Bottom earlier today. I actually took sniper fire. I one right by here.
0: Ain't no snipers here, man. Just you, and me, and the people partying in that motel how long do you think it's gonna last yeah how long until these
1: Negroes and people quit what do you think
0: how the hell am i supposed to know
1: and that was a clip from detroit and we got to go and see this film a couple of weeks ago i know pretty much been released out in the world for a, a good few weeks now so hopefully a lot of you have been out to see it Mike, what were your initial thoughts when we went to go and see Detroit in terms of a piece of work from someone as prolific as Catherine Bigelow?
0: Uh, well, it's one that I very much enjoyed. Is perhaps not the right word to use um, because it's it's a very compelling and immediate narrative. It I found it very gripping. Um, I thought it, it immersed me in the in the the film. It. I thought it it made the audience quite complicit. It it sort of puts you into this situation and you are sort of, you're thrust into this situation and you're not allowed to sort of remove yourself. You're not allowed to stand back and look at it. You're, you're in the thick of it. And so I thought that worked very well for it.
1: And uh I'm in agreement with that. Now, these riots took place over the course of, I believe, five days over over the summer of 1967 in Detroit. It left 43 people dead, of which I believe three of them were at this particular motel, the Algiers Motel, which is where 45 minutes of this film focuses in on And this particular incident, which exemplifies actually uh, what was going on in terms of the civil rights movement of the time. And you do get a very good sense of the african-american community within detroit whether that be working class or or people in authority like john boyega's character and and, and conversely on the other side you obviously get uh, the idea of the very white authority that believes it well, was i'm not saying all of them because actually this whole film is quite balanced because there are other white characters that are more sympathetic to African American characters, but there are, there was a certain element within the policing force of Detroit who were very racist. I don't think there's any other word that we can say that. I
0: I think it's something that ties into things that are still happening today. You know, if you look at the black lives matter movement, it it's not even necessarily a, a race thing. It is a, a perception. It is, you know, the the seeing of black males as threats that doesn't necessarily only happen with with white policemen. You know, there's there's been recent examples with um, it was in the news this week with a, an American football player, Michael Bennett, okay, who was at the um, Mayweather. Oh, the
1: Mayweather-McGregor McGregor fight. fight. Yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, he was at a casino when there was an incident and the police were called uh, an armed shooter. And so the police responded in force. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Bennett, like many others, uh, fled the scene and was chased and apprehended quite violently um and the chief of police there was quite quite keen to point out that oh these weren't white police officers mm-hmm. these these were also minorities okay. can you sense the air quotes uh mm-hmm. because i believe they were of mexican descent and, right. and so it, it goes to something that it within the police force it's not necessarily an issue of race it, it clearly has to do with race but it is a it is a it's not a white versus black; it's a blue versus black.
1: Okay, so it is authority against it's sort of a, a, authority against the oppressed. I, I believe saying. so. Yes, um, it is undeniable though that there is the black versus white thing going on there, and for me, especially now, Detroit's come out at a time where politics is. Uh, very much at a turning point in, in the United States. where
0: So divisive.
1: Massively so. And we, we I, I have to say from my standpoint, I, I'm sure you agree with this, Mike, uh, with Donald Trump's right leanings um, and his um, seeming sympathy towards um, white communities. Uh, white supremacists, uh, let's white, be honest. Well, let's be honest. Yeah, and, and, and where we had the white supremacists and now feel like they can openly go out and tout their wares and actually they get
0: through the streets wave some, their flags what's
1: scary is they're getting traction from certain parts people are buying into this rhetoric and it's a it, let's be honest it's a false rhetoric as well Oh, 100% that all black people are, are out to sort of you know i don't know indoctrinate the rest of society and, and take over it. they feel like very much threatened uh, by the Afri- african caribbean oh, sorry african american contingent of the united states
0: well yeah it's it's one i saw um put very interestingly that it's essentially white people are or the the white supremacists the 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 far right leaning the alt right whatever you want to call them it's this idea that their their premier position is being taken away Okay. And and so they're fighting against that. It's it's not a we are being overrun or our voices aren't being heard. It's our voices are no longer the ascendant. Our, our voices no longer carry the full weight that they used to. That we think they should. Okay. And and, and so I think this, that's this quite is a, a fascinating sort of well, do idea. You, do
1: you think that buys into the whole thing of losing control almost, where you have a dominant part of society, and whether that be based on your race? In this case, it is a white. Society in America is the dominant part of society yep. and have been very much in control for a very long time. Their and, voice has been
0: the only one that's been heard.
1: Of course. And now they feel incredibly threatened. That there's almost an uprising because of equality. Um, and and this demand for equality, which rightly so, as human beings, I think all human beings should be equal, and they they feel that that's slipping away from them. And it, I guess it's just a natural reaction from well, not a natural
0: reaction, but it's, it's an unnatural reaction, I think.
1: yeah, from from their part to go. Oh, we're losing control. We need to put these people back into their places again. It's and it's incredibly sad. And and I think this is exemplified through Catherine Bigelow's film here. Now, Catherine Bigelow, as a director, has done lots of different films and. I would say that Detroit is probably the third film on the trots and we can we can call it a trilogy and we can give it a name. I think so. We can give it a name. We can call it the conflict trilogy. Okay. That's the way I'm seeing it yep. at the moment. Her I last like that. Two, her last two films concerned conflict in other countries than her own. Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty explored war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And those are two films obviously steeped in conflict uh, but from very different standpoints almost like externalized sort of view of america and america's control of other territories across the world so i kind of like the fact of the fact that katherine biglow's chosen projects or worked with people that are dealing with a theme that she's very clearly Passionate about. Um, she's also done a, a virtual reality project. I don't know if you've you've heard of this, Mike. She did a VR project called The Protectors recently. Um, I think it was part of National Geographic, and I'm, it's on YouTube. I think you okay. can watch it with your VR specs or whatever you've got at home. Um, and The Protectors is a film based in Africa, and it's following some reserve wardens uh, protecting uh, elephants, which obviously are an endangered species. And this takes a sort of documentary look at. Uh, these protectors in Africa, and I think this documentary style of which Catherine Bigelow is going for in the protectors, it bleeds into Detroit. Much of Detroit feels as if it is Swedo documentary.
0: Um, I, I think as well, Zero Dark Thirty does, does is another one that sort of feeds into that as well.
1: And she's worked with Mark Boll, who is uh, one uh, the There's guy screenwriter, screenwriter for both I for believe. both films. Yes, and he Mark Bowl used to be a journalist and he went into the screenwriting. So clearly there is that sort of political sort of side of his writing, which is, you know, bleeding into the screenplays. And um, Catherine Bigelow is absolutely capitalising on those themes running throughout. Now, in terms of Detroit in itself, it does feel very much like a documentary reality TV in parts. You start off the film with a simplified really awesomely animated sequence of the history of civil rights in America. And it's done in an, almost an African style, isn't it? Yeah, oh, there's,
0: it, it's quite a... Uh a stylistic sort of uh painting it, it it's expressionist it's 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 quite beautifully done um and is is mainly concerned with the what is known as the second great migration uh, so yeah after the jim crow era um moving from the rural south to the more industrialized north and midwest etc moving to to find work and also to avoid the racism that was quite prevalent in the south still there were also a number of unfair agricultural systems so it was it was almost designed to to keep people of color down and so the the mass migration led to urban spatial segregation which is That's a, quite a word. horrific term yes. um it's it's one of those chillingly banal, yet rooted in deep evil almost. Um and it, it's where uh people of colour minorities were pushed towards certain areas using stuff like low-income housing, etc., which was another way to just keep the races largely segregated and separated. And and
1: this seems incredibly short-sighted because for for these social systems to be put in place, inevitably it's going to cause friction down the line, you know? Oppressing people to such an extent whereby you control their, their, their the the social element to their lives, and keeping them on low wages, and it's being inherently clear that that is unfair in an equal seemingly equal society, you're going to get an uprising at some point, and I, I this is exactly where it's come from.
0: Yeah, it's it's another one that also I think. Not to ever excuse any of it, but a lot of racism and stuff like that—it's—it's it, ignorance. It, it comes from a lack of exposure. So if if it's a lot easier to think that that black man is a thug, that black man is is uh is evil, when you're not dealing with with people of colour on a day-to-day basis and getting to see that they are just ordinary people and that they are just like you, in other words. Mm,
1: Absolutely. And that lack of exposure, we see it today across the USA, the UK. Sadly so. Where we live in the UK, myself and Mike live in a particularly white-dominated area. It's it's quite upper middle class and probably the only dark face you will see when you go into the center of town is myself (laughs) or if not a couple of other people but very much of the minority definitely in the minority yes and so yeah i think that's that's an absolutely brilliant point is the fact that if you're not exposed to different types of people and their cultures essentially because their culture is unique to where their heritage lies um, and they will obviously have different things that they want to bring into society and, and mix in. And, and once again, that may seem as a threat to some people. And thereby, we're going to get the conflicts. And um, now, going back to Detroit, this film, as I said, concerns itself with the rioting, feels very documentary style at the beginning. It literally is a documentary. Well, the yeah, I,
0: I also really liked the the use of news footage, as it's one where it it weirdly managed to make it feel like it was happening now. Um, despite the sort of slight period look to it but it's it's one where modern atrocities our our relationship to them or our exposure to them is often through news footage and so i found that's one that it, it really made it feel modern okay i felt that this is going to sound really
1: base compared to the intelligent point that you're making it felt like you were the casual observer and the fe- the feeling that I got from it is, as 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 camera moves quite organically from scene to scene, and it felt like watching an episode of Cops. Have you ever seen that? Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bad <laughs>
0: Boys, Bad Boys.
1: <laughs> and it felt like you were watching uh, constructed reality, a reality TV, ob- uh, you know, observation of, yeah. of crimes that were actually being committed at that time, and that casual observation standpoint of which the audience put in makes you feel almost a bit helpless because you are watching whether it's right or wrong what you're watching is happening on screen you feel helpless because you can't interject into that
0: yeah you can't do anything about it it's it's, it's one where i i had to acknowledge after watching the 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 especially as 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 a white man watching it the the, the white i i don't think i've ever felt white guilt quite so keenly as i <laughs> okay. did throughout this film because it it's one where this feels like something that should be a thing of the past. If this should be a oh, look back at how bad things used to be, but sadly they are still just as bad in many
1: ways. It it it's absolutely mind blowing in, in the sense that these things are still relevant today. And as we said, the, the whole uh, white supremacist movement in in the states going on at the moment. Black Lives Matter. Black, life mat- Black Lives Matter. Racist still hot topic hasn't gone away and is probably sadly going to be here here for the foreseeable future hopefully not to the extent that it is in detroit whereby people are being maimed left right and center unjustly uh, or even with justification you know the sense that no one should be being maimed on the fact that they are defending their right to have equality in society and it, it, this is just incredibly sad now in detroit there's also you i felt like you got the sense of uh living as a as an african-american person in detroit you had a a particular uh, character who was part of a motown group called uh, the dramatics and they were just about to break big uh in in the um on one of these stage shows that they do and everyone's dancing in these dance halls and so these concerts these clubs as they call them
0: and it's it's a completely mixed audience you know it's 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 not just people of color there's there's people of color there's white people there's there's sort of everything there so there's there's clearly some people getting stuff from this culture yet the fact that it's still so denigrated is is almost shameful
1: it is isn't it it's like i can enjoy you dancing and singing for me almost like a jester or a minstrel, a minstrel. It's, it's, you yeah, well, know, I, I hesitate
0: to use the term, but I think it's relevant.
1: Happy for you to sing and dance for me. Even we can talk about. We talked about boxing a minute ago. We're happy to watch you pummel seven shades out of you, uh, but not happy to be your your friend or integrate or your neighbor or whatever. Or, whatever. or whatever it means. And I, I still think that those sorts of views are held, even uh, as a, as a secretive view. I don't think that some people still harbour those views.
0: Um, as, yeah, I think there's a personal, and there's also a, a clear societal element that, that, that those things are still in place. You know, if you look at the unemployment rate for young black men, is is double what it is for the same same age group of of white people.
1: Absolutely, and
0: this is not
1: it's not rocket science, really, is it? You you keep people in boxes and keep them in a certain part of society, and they're not going to be able to have the same opportunities that everyone else does to progress. And it's not just uh, African-Americans, it's Mexicans, anything, any any Im- immigrants into a society. And let's be honest with, with each other here for a second. The white contingent of America are not indigenous to the <laughs> no, country. No, right? that's, that's quite a fair point. <laughs> quite an obvious point. But they they are, they are too are immigrants. It's just the fact that they've managed to dominate a land and they... I say they, the powers that be or people that are certain parts of society still want to, to keep that dominance and, and, and that status quo, not give any leeway whatsoever to any form of equality or anyone else that's trying to invade the lands. To see them as, as threats is it's as primal as, as that, isn't it?
0: Uh, well, it's the, there's a great video, um, from the Hamilton musical, uh, oh. called immigrants. Oh yeah. That features, um, uh, uh, four rappers yep. none of whom are white americans no nope. um and it, it starts with a bit of audio footage that that basically says in a country founded by immigrants it's so strange that the word immigrant has become a dirty word which it, it, it it's entirely true when you think about it like that that the idea that these people will say you're not welcome here you don't deserve to have what we have is ludicrous when they that's that's why they are there you know everyone everyone who is 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 uh naturalized american is descended from people who who emigrated to up to avoid persecution or to escape something you know and and so to say oh but now you're not allowed to do that we've like the 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 room's full no more thank you you. is mind-boggling
1: now detroit for me was a film talk told in in three parts There's a very distinct sort of documentary style to to the opening of it. And then there is almost a home invasion sort of horror sequence in there, that big 45 minutes going on in there, which is completely unexpected. Just the tone of it is very unexpected. And then there is a not very good courtroom drama tacked on in the end. And I say that because in comparison to the home invasion stuff and the setup
0: what's it, come before it does just pale in comparison
1: if that was a, if the courtroom part was in a different film i may not be so harsh on it
0: or even was the focus of the film and so was allowed to be more fleshed out yes and, and that's that's the problem with the courtroom part of
1: this film is that the characters aren't as nuanced as they are in the main section of it. What gave them their individuality in in the main part of the film is completely lost in that sort of courtroom 20, 20, 30 minutes towards the end. Still powerful, and I think that the character of Algie Smith, we've talked about all the big names in this, Algie Smith, who is the, the dramatic singer, has an incredible story arc going from beginning to end, whereby at the beginning he is... In the dramatics, this big band that we've spoken about.
0: Just about to, like you say, make it big. He's he's almost living the American dream at that point, which is you come from your hard Scrabble roots or whatever, but you are able to pull yourself above that and you are able to gain fame or notoriety or riches.
1: They're supporting Martha and the Vandellas, one of the biggest names to come out of the motel. And th- then for him, by the end of the film, after this incident occurs at the Algiers Motel, to then. Having a complete about face, he no longer wants to. He can actually see what's happening in society. Then no longer wants to be the the black man, the minstrel performing yeah. uh, for white audiences. He completely goes against the grain on this one and turns himself away from white society. He can't even bring himself at the recording of the dramatics to finish the recording. So he goes off and does something completely different, which, which we won't spoil. But his his character arc from beginning to end you can you can see that someone who experiences things like this in society can how that is completely justified how they go from being somewhat someone in the middle ground to someone on the, the fringes because of their experiences through racism and, and society in itself and i don't know what you thought about Algie smith's performance and
0: yeah, I thought he was great. It's it's one where I've I've seen a lot of plaudits for Will Poulter, deservedly so. Mm-hmm. John Boyega again. I think he's doing a very difficult role. See
1: John Boyega's character in that film. I thought he did very well for what he was able to do. What made it difficult was the fact that his character itself was powerless. His character is a security guard, as we said, who is almost like a go-between between between, uh, black society or these people that are caught up in the Algiers Motel and the authorities. And he's always trying to appease them at any given point, to almost doing damage limitation, essentially. I felt when I watched it the second time around that John Boyega is almost the conscience of the audience you know feeling very helpless in the fact that j- can't really do much you know this is going to play out how it's going to play out if i do anything to to disturb it it's just gonna
0: go go nuclear essentially yeah, or potentially you know cost him his life his job his position because it was one that i thought was quite interesting there was there was a quote um between algy mm-hmm. and jacob Lattimore. Algie smith and jacob Lattimore, who are fred and fred and larry larry yes before they go on stage where he says to him you know um larry says to him oh you're late and there's a i had to put i had to put food on the table essentially it's that dichotomy between trying to just live your life but also trying to better your community trying to help your people that you know it, it puts people in a very difficult position and and I think John Boyega's uh, Demook's character perfectly captures that. I, I yeah, I, I
1: do think that that's absolutely correct. He he's not an Uncle Tom, and I think that's that's something that's quoted at him at the film. And Uncle yeah. Tom is someone who does um, their dominance. So a white uh, in slavery, it was known as an Uncle Tom character would be a black man who did the white man's bidding, uh, almost like, not a, as a go between, but as someone who was a slave himself, but had slightly elevated status uh, within... Because he
0: was used to control, control the other slaves. Yeah,
1: and I don't think he is that Uncle Tom character at all in this film. As you said, he is this helpless uh, character
0: within He's the narrative. He's put in this horrible, impossible, impossible situation.
1: Now... I've got a couple of quotes here, and I'm, I'm going to go not a deep dive necessarily because that's not what we're about really. But I just wanted to tie in a few things. What I've I read a quote uh, from Martin Luther King who said that a riot is the voice of the unheard, which is quite ironic in, in, in this case in the fact that they are still, you know, they're heard, but they're still unheard in the fact that they're writing doesn't prove
0: anything, and and you know has has extended to recent years. If you look at Ferguson, Missouri, there, there were riots when a, a young a young black man was shot by a white police officer. More importantly, there were riots when the white police officer was not indicted. He he managed right. to get away with this, and and so there were riots in the community. Understandably so, because so, hmm. like you say, it is riots are rarely uh they're rarely they're a cause okay you know you know that they're they're a product of something else you you don't just randomly riot riot for for the fun of it yeah
1: exactly um one of the characters in this film actually uh carl who is the guy who instigates everything he uh, so in this algiers motel essentially it's a speakeasy so somewhere where you can covertly Drink and cavort and take drugs and all the rest of it. Keeping themselves very much to themselves. I don't. Although they are breaking the law to an extent, they aren't infiltrating into society. No, it's it's quite
0: self-contained. Yeah, and,
1: and and in this hotel, Larry turns up, who's the lead singer of this band, the Dramatics, uh, who has to go and seek a good time. I guess that's why he go, why he goes to the Algiers, and they're all drinking in this uh, kitchen of theirs. And Carl is this character who is the cook, I believe, in this hotel cooking in air quotes and uh he has quite a powerful speech about how black people are oppressed and why people are rioting and then instigates what happens for the next 45 minutes and he comes out with an interesting quote on this when you're black it's almost like having a gun in your face And this film feels like you have that gun at your face for the, almost the entirety. Like you are at the whim of someone else who's ready to pull the trigger at any reason, any minute for any reason. Um, It just feels unjust, completely unfair throughout the whole film. Do you feel that goes through the whole time? Yeah,
0: I I would definitely agree with that. Um, and,
1: And it just, once again, I think it just underscores the, the brutality of police within this film. Now, I don't think it's a perfect film. Um, was there anything
0: that you thought didn't work in uh, Detroit for well, you? As we've already mentioned, the the end sequence does feel slightly rushed, I think.
1: Okay. And I would have to concur with that that point of view. I think that there is a, a pivotal scene in that forty five minutes that's very much telegraphed and it's I th- even though it did happen and all the rest of it, and maybe slightly dramatized i think that its execution was particularly poor the character makes it carries out an action which has consequences of which essentially uh, i'm trying to skirt around this as best as possible a character makes a decision to kill someone and uh, it has consequences and the audience i think is supposed to to to, to, to not know it or something and when when the reveal is actually shown, I just think it's incredibly telegraphed. Um, I just think it was poorly executed. So that that's one particular uh, element of the film that I didn't like. I, I I thought the the score didn't really do much for me. It was a lot of sort of brooding notes. Um, the the score was done by James Newton Howard. It fitted what was going on. It, apes a lot of bigelow stuff it sounded a bit like something that i heard in zero dark 30 which also had a very brooding score as well it didn't do enough for me it didn't need to be rousing i didn't need a rousing score you don't want a rousing score and in, in this film you want the film to speak for itself but equally i just felt like along with the sort of diegetic sound and non you know the score just didn't do an awful lot to lift it i think there were some uses of it in the courtroom stuff towards the end that i felt were a little bit on the nose but Music is a key point, uh, you know, a component of Detroit. Whereby we were talking about Larry the lead singer of the Dramatics there, and Larry does some fantastic. I believe it is his voice as well, singing. Oh, wow. with, with, within the film, um, he sounds like I, Jermaine Stewart, I think. And do you remember Jermaine Stewart? Yeah. Do you remember his yeah. big song? No. Okay. His main his big song was We don't have to take our clothes off. Do you remember that song? Yeah, okay. Have I, yeah. To
0: take a... Didn't that, make the connection.
1: That's 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 a chap. He has a voice very similar to Jermaine Stewart and it's, it's a fantastic voice anyway. Um and he does an awful lot of singing throughout segments of the film and the for different moments when he sings they have different emotional effects on the audience. There's a moment where he's uh, under extreme pressure to sing and he starts singing and immediately you feel
0: could you hear my intake of breath yeah that? I, remembering <laughs> it 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 really just hits you in the gut it absolutely does but
1: then there are some moments where he does sing where it's you entertaining and then there's another moment where it almost almost feels like a release for his character uh where he's got to his journey's end and it's uh, not an end that perhaps we we would expect or but that he would have, have wanted wanted yeah but, but his singing then just feels like once again another expression of his release so i did enjoy that part of the the soundscape of the film is there anything at all that you wanted to pick up that
0: you didn't Well, just in regards again i will i will be careful with what i say but yeah i i liked that it has a redemptive tone towards the end his his singing is almost what allows him to to come to terms with what happened to him
1: right okay and i
0: I thought that was quite interesting
1: yeah i thought that was pretty good so any final thoughts at all mike on detroit
0: uh well i think it's one that it it's it just seems very relevant um it's one where i think these days technology is accelerating so fast and and society and culture sort of shift around that that the past seems a lot more distant than it is And, and and clearly you know this is this is something from what, 50, 60 odd years ago? Uh, no, 40, 50 odd years 40, 50. ago. And Your maths isn't great. <laughs> no, is, forgive me. Um, but yet, yeah, it's, it's still chillingly relevant in, in, in today's society, you know? It, and I think that's incredibly sad as well. It is. Sad definitely. indictment of,
1: of Western society, full stop. For me, Bigelow's film is a triumph in what it sets out to portray. And that is an event that happened in 1967 with the potency and the believability of a documentary and almost a reality TV element to it. It is faithful to the people involved. I don't think it does them a disservice. It doesn't overly dramatise their story. There's clearly a lot of research that's gone into finding out the facts. Um, And even though the outcome perhaps isn't what we expect at the end of it. It's, it's a true story. She doesn't do these people wrong by bringing this story to screen. We were trying to avoid giving ratings as, as part of Film Seekers podcast, but I think we'll have to give a rating on this occasion. And my rating out of five stars would be a very solid four, Mike. What, what your thoughts?
0: Uh, funnily enough, I know we—you might not believe us, but we didn't actually communicate about this. But my rating is also a, a solid four out of five stars. So that's a
1: resounding recommendation for our listeners out there.
0: Definitely. If if you haven't yet seen it, I, I urge you to go and see it. And it's definitely worth watching on the small screen as well. I still think
1: it would have that relevancy. Well, hope well, it will have that relevancy. Sadly, but it will also have the potency. Uh, to communicate its issues across to you on a smaller screen.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think it will still be quite immersive. Again, the sort of the use of of archive footage and and old lenses to sort of give it that period feel. But it it's still where you're you're thrust into the action, where you are a part of it. You're complicit. You're as you you said earlier. You're sort of you're watching helpless, like John Boyega's character i don't think screen size necessarily matters with that
1: no absolutely not so that's detroit and uh thumbs up from this
0: side and and thumbs up from this side again if you haven't yet seen it go and see it we'll be back after these quick messages hey everyone i'm jason michael and i'm lee brady
1: and we're the atlantic screen connection podcast we're a podcast that looks to analyze what makes films great with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all
0: reassessed and reviewed. You can find the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And if you're looking for a more direct approach, you can find us on Twitter. Just look for Jason Michael at Atlantic SC and Lee Brady at Big Pick Reviews. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. Let the
1: games begin. And that was a quick message there from a couple of our pals uh, from the Atlantic Screen Connection. Please go and listen to them. They do deep dives a lot better than we ever will do, I think. Um, But they also go very deep into their films. Well worth checking out. Mike's looking very nervous over there. Mike, are you okay?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sweating slightly, but I I think I'll bear up and and get through it. Um, But yes, I am rather nervous about this section.
1: Uh, Mike's very nervous because uh, we are going to do our film seekers quiz now this is going to be for anyone who co-hosts with us we're going to have a little wall where we're going to put everyone's scores on the doors and um, you'll be able to see that by following at film seekers on twitter and also following us on facebook it won't be anywhere else at all we won't even put it up on the website and this is where i post to mike 10 questions each question is worth three points And so this is the Film Seekers quiz. Mike, are you quite nervous about this?
0: Yes, I am. I'm I'm sweating slightly in my seat. I I feel like I'm about to go on question time or mastermind for our British listeners. Um, Yeah, those are a couple of quiz shows that are for very, very intelligent people. With high tension and and large stakes, which is, is how I feel right now.
1: So our quiz consists of 10 questions, Mike. Three of the questions will be your bonus rounds. You will be able to choose between two topics for your bonus rounds. Okay. You will get three points for every question. Every third question, so your three, six, and nine will be your bonus questions on your chosen subject. You'll get six points for each of those. Now I need to get my marking sheet for this. And we also have some uh, funky music as well for our quiz, which uh, (laughs) may change in in the coming weeks. So uh, this is our quiz music.
0: which is instantly making me feel slightly calmer smooth jazz just you know if, if, if it doesn't calm you there's, there's something wrong with you
1: uh, mike before we start the quiz what would you like as your bonus rounds so we've got kings and queens
0: or i predict a riot uh, well in honor of of this week's films i, I think it's only right that i predict uh, i pick i predict a riot uh, i predict a riot it is so your
1: questions three six and nine will be on your bonus round i predict a riot and without further ado we even have a jingle for this FilmSeekers.com quiz. There we are. That's our quiz. And uh, So, question number one. You ready? Yep. Okay. As, I, as I'll ever be. As you'll ever be. You'll only give, get five seconds, by the way. If you start umming and ahhing and all the rest of it, you won't get now to play okay. it, as they say. We'll start off nice and easy, and then we'll build up. So, question number one. Which popular kids' franchise film had a spin-off containing the protagonists Stuart, Bob, and Kevin?
0: I do not know. Oh, my. Oh, Minions. Minions? Yes, it is. Minions. Well done. I mean, (laughs) that's one I don't necessarily feel that bad about not instantly recognizing. Okay, that's three points to Mike so far. Question number two. Who played
1: the obsessed fan in the 1990 adaptation of Stephen King's Misery? That is Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates is correct. Another three points for Mike there number three now this is your bonus question you ready for this yep this is on I predict a riot an uber violent Martin Scorsese film contained the following characters Amsterdam Jenny and Bill name the film I'm gonna go with Taxi Driver you're gonna go with Taxi Driver for Amsterdam Jenny and Bill for an uber violent Martin Scorsese film
0: yes yes
1: if I said the film contained rioting in New York... Would be Gangs of New York. Yeah, well, tough. You've got it Kicking wrong. Myself. Sorry, you've got your first uh, bonus question wrong. You've got nothing for that one, Like You could have got six points for that one. Number four. Ready, sir? Yeah. Uh, whose phrase is dead or alive? You're coming with me.
0: Judge Dredd. No. It's
1: Robocop.
0: <laughs> it's all going to pieces now. <laughs> brilliant uh at least
1: my quiz is sort of proving its uh, worth here uh number f- well number five uh, in which year did the following films get a u.s cinematic release has to be the exact year i'm afraid there's okay. no leeway on this one um casablanca bambi and cat people which year did the, all those three come out in the states i have to add 1956 you are 14 years out my friends <laughs> 1942 uh, number six is your bonus question number six bonus question i predict a riot riot
0: themed yeah yeah I'll, I'll bear that in mind this time <laughs>
1: number six which riotous british film from 1971 was removed from uk circulation by the director's family after death threats because people believed it would lead to copycat behavior Uh, A Clockwork Orange It is a Clockwork Orange Yay Yay. Well done Uh, That is six points there As it is your bonus question Um, Number seven James Cameron has won two Oscars For best film Name one of the two films Titanic Yay Titanic Do you know what the other one is? You won't get any more points for it But Avatar? It is Avatar Okay Well done Well done my friend uh, number eight, Pierre Paolo Pasolini has directed a notoriously grim film called Salo. But what was the exact subtitle? Uh, that is 120 Days of Sodom it is yes that's the exact title and what a film that is watch it on christmas day with your family everyone will be <laughs> um bringing up the uh, christmas pudding and the rest of it um right number nine this is your final uh, bonus question again, by the way,
0: mike about riots. Uh, about
1: riots i predict a riot just bear that in mind yep. the city of gods culminates in a finale involving a riot but which country is it set in that is Brazil that is Brazil that's another six points Mike well done and your final question for today number ten which film had the memorable tagline they're back oh it's coming to you but you don't know where it is no that's really annoying um five seconds I can't think of anything Nope, mind blank okay that would have been Poltergeist 2 how it makes it makes se- sense exactly makes um, although
0: se- to be honest the only I'm going to be kicking myself over that Robocop <laughs> one
1: all the way home <laughs> um, okay so uh, by my edition here and, and my addition is very slow and poor you have scored a total quite respectable if I'm honest with you Mike 24 out of 39 you are our first inductee onto the Film Seekers Quiz Hall of Fame well wow, I've, I've left myself
0: some room for improvement
1: I think we'll do a little Champions League if we get enough people doing the quiz on the show over maybe at the end of the year we'll bring all the champions back to maybe have a battle off against each other that'll be quite fun won't it I don't think I'll
0: be there but yeah that sounds quite interesting well, you never quite fascinating. I think
1: 24 out of 39 is not a bad score to have um, but well done and thank you for being our guinea pig on the first ever <laughs> Film Seekers <laughs> the, thank quiz. you for objecting me to that through that you're 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 very very welcome my friends um we are going to go on to another section now whereby let's get rid of the uh, film let's get rid of the quiz music there um we're gonna get on to our section where we're actually quite pleased we've got a little competition here haven't we mike today
0: yeah which is it's really quite Quite brilliant. It was it's slightly last minute, I think that's fair to say, and, and unexpected. But. It was
1: unexpected. That's that's probably the better thing to say. It is a little bit unexpected. We have a competition. Now, if you've made it this far into the podcast, congratulations, first and foremost. <laughs> yep, kudos. You deserve a prize. Um, this is open to anyone who is a resident of the UK, and will go so far as uh, UK and Northern Ireland. Um, we have a copy of... My Life as a Courgette, as it's known over here, or My Life as a Zucchini in the USA, uh, of which you're exempt from this quiz, so don't worry about that. Um, It is So it's My Life as a Courgette. It is My (laughs) Life as a Courgette. Uh, Courtesy of Thunderbird's releasings. Uh, They have given us a copy either on DVD or Blu-ray. You can choose which one it is. Uh, We'll pop it in the post to you. Um, If you follow us on Twitter and leave us a message saying that you want to enter the quiz, we will pick out someone at random. And actually you can drop us a line as well. So drop us a line at hello at filmseekers.com. Send us an email there and, uh, mark your subject title competition. Uh, leave your address. We're not going to send it off to any data miners or anything. Don't worry about that. It's purely for the quiz. And, You could be in the chance of winning a copy of My Life as a Courgette on Blu-ray or DVD.
0: Um, And just to double check, I assume I am exempt from this. I'm not able to enter. You are unable to enter.
1: Sadly. Sorry, Mike. Uh, My Life as a Courgette I saw earlier on this year and what a fantastic film it is. Uh, I saw it in the, the, the French dub and I saw it twice in the French dub. It is a very short film at 65 minutes long but don't let that put you off. I think it does things for children's films that I haven't seen in a very, very long time. Unfortunately, it was up against a very very strong animated film at this year's oscars it was nominated for an oscar uh zootopia won out in the end which is also an excellent child orientated film
0: i think children's film is probably a bit damning I, I think that is slightly unfair with those and again does something different unexpected with it and it's the story of a boy called ikare
1: um who lives with his mum, who is an alcoholic and uh, he ends up basically going into foster care and being taken under the arm of a policeman called Raymond. Uh, Raymond is uh, voiced by uh, Nick Offerman in the English-language version, but there's also a couple of other... Uh, comedians from the states who do other voices including uh, Amy Sedaris who we'll be hearing on our uh, small screen soon uh, back on Netflix's uh, Bojack, BoJack Horseman, Horseman. yes, uh, yes. Uh, which uh, Mike and myself are very big fans of um, but My <coughs> Life as a Courgette does things as I said that other children's films doesn't do it explores very tough themes And those themes are boiled down to a childlike manner in a way that a child could understand but doesn't expose them to the the horrificness. But I I think it does it faithfully. Doesn't talk down to them either. No, absolutely not. And I was... I'd say this about a lot of films, but when a film actually makes me... Emotionally upset by the end of it, uh, of which my life as a courgette made me feel elated. So uh, not upset, but it made me cry. film, it's a physical reaction. I don't cry <laughs> or an
0: emotional response. Absolutely. Even.
1: And I don't cry very often. Um, and when a film does that to me, I, I immediately put it up in up into the higher echelons of my marking is it's 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 done its duty. So if you'd like to win a copy of My Life is a Courgette, either on DVD or Blu-ray, email to hello at filmseekers.com, send us your address and uh, say whether you want to win it on DVD or Blu-ray if you live in the UK or Ireland. And thanks to Thunderbird releasings, uh you will win a copy of my life as a courgette which is out on blu-ray and dvd i believe on the 18th of september so even if you don't win please go out buy a copy rent it it's
0: brilliant since i can't win it i will be going and purchasing a copy myself
1: and talking about home video uh, we've got a part of our show where we, this is a part where we're going to express our recommendations for home and streaming. Um, I'll go first. So Netflix, uh, I'm going to pick Greenberg. We spoke about Greta Gerwig earlier. We spoke about a hell of a lot of people today, in fact. <laughs> uh, Greta Gerwig and uh, Ben Stiller in a Noah Baumbach film. Greenberg is part of what they call this mumblecore sort of indie uh, sequence of films. I think is a bit more than that. Um, I won't go into any more than that on Greenberg, but Greenberg's out on Netflix UK, uh, and that's my recommendation for Netflix,
0: Mike. Yours? Uh, well, I, slightly shamefully, it's it's not actually a film, but we did just mention it a moment ago. Is the new series of BoJack Horseman? Um, it's it's an animated show. It's a Netflix original. Uh, has great voice cast: Will Arnett, Alison Brie, Amy Sedaris. It's easy to write off because of the setup, but it has an emotional resonance and some some real like bone shattering truth to it <laughs> that i think is just it just elevates it above most of what you would think of animated shows it it really it it it's it's spoken to me quite personally on a number of, of okay. issues that i've dealt with and i i know the same is true of other people so netflix uh has bojack horseman uh back for a brand
1: new series so that, the entire rest of the um, seasons are already there. Yeah, the well. previous three. Um, so yeah, you can catch up with that to your heart's content on uh, Netflix uh, across the world. I believe that's uh, for everyone. On Amazon Prime, my pick is this landed on there quite early. It's Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, which I thoroughly enjoyed at the cinema. The director's cut earlier on this year. I believe it's a normal cut
0: on Amazon Prime, but that is my recommendation. And yours, Mike? So I have a little twofer, one of which is Lady Macbeth, which is a film that came out earlier this year. I was unable to see it. So I have been eagerly awaiting it dropping on a streaming service. It's a period set drama, but with a very modern outlook and some sort of dark undertones that just looked quite intriguing to me. Uh, And then the other one quickly is a film called Swiss army man, which it's a hard one to recommend. A lot of people that see it won't respond to it, but I found it a a very beautiful and moving film, despite the fact it's largely (laughs) flatulence-based. Okay. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe farting for the entirety of the film. Um, And Paul Dano. Who I is another actor that just anything that man does, I I have time for.
1: And don't forget there are other streaming sites apart from um, Amazon Prime and Netflix out there. And um, there is also FilmStruck in the USA, which we unfortunately don't have access to. There's also the BFI Player, which I believe anyone can get access to. That one, and also Mubi as well, which I used to subscribe to. I I, I need to renew my subscription at some point. That I did look through its catalogue. Mubi is very unique in the sense that it only has thirty films films on its film slate, and those rotate on a 30-day basis. So you get 30 days from when it put, gets put on there to watch it, and then it will drop off, and then you'll get something else. And then they do it also in themes, and they use quite esteemed directors. You get to see things that you wouldn't normally see anywhere else, things that never have never even gone to DVD or, or Blu-ray, uh, you will get to see exclusives on that. Sometimes they also do simultaneous uploads of films that are currently playing at certain film festivals as well, which is fantastic. The one that did caught, catch my eye, however, is Zametti of 13. It's a French film uh, by Giela Babluani. Uh, apologies if I got that name wrong. And it is the story of Sebastian, a young man has decided to follow in, uh, instructions intended for someone else without knowing where it will take him. Something else he does not know is that Gerard Dorez is a con- on a knife edge and is tailing him and when he reaches his destination Sebastian falls into a degenerate clandestine world of mental chaos behind closed doors and I saw this film as part of the French new wave uh, that we had at late 1990s early 2000s with things like *n* and Irreversible and I really really got into that violent uh, outer edge left field french cinema and this was part of it and zametti really hit home it was on my love film list i got it sent through the post r.i.p love film <laughs> um, yeah fondly remembered um, that was one of the things that did for me i got zametti through when i was uh still living at home with my parents at that point and uh it blew my mind that that is on mubi i highly recommend you go and check movie out they are a great streaming site as well That are slightly outside of the main two which everyone seems to use We have come to the end of the show, I believe, Mike. Cue the sad violins. I know. I haven't even got a jingle for the sad violins. Isn't that bad? I want to thank you for being part of today's show, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Um, It's been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure to have you. You're going to be joining me, I believe, uh, for the next few episodes uh, for the foreseeable future. As as long as you'll have me, yeah. We'll we'll think about it. Until he finds someone better. (laughs) We also want to say to everyone before we get into our thanks and it's not going to be an oscar list of thanks that we want to hear from you really we want to read out your tweets we want to read out your emails film reviews anecdotes anything that you want to send our way please do send it our way and we will listen and we also read them out so we've already said that the email address is hello at filmseekers.com can't get much simpler than that we're on Twitter join us at film seekers and also on facebook at forward slash filmseekers instagram if you're into photos, we occasionally put up photos on our instagram account, and that is uh, just film seekers but we really do want to hear from you tell us what we got wrong tell us what you want to hear tell us how we can improve tell us things that you're interested in uh, we want to help you on your journey to find the greatest films that are out there and also discuss them if you have any ideas for us to discuss certain films or maybe cover certain topics We'll be happy to do that as well. Maybe you'll get a different take from myself and Mike on our podcast. So thanks to Mike. You can follow Mike. Do you want people to follow you? Shall I give out your
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs>
1: um thank you, Mike. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how good it'll be for them, No, but that's I, I'm true. sure I'll get some enjoyment out of it. You can thank Mike by following him at the late great MR. That's all one word. The late great MR on Twitter. You can follow me by following at FilmSeekers. And um, thank you also to all the other people who have done immense work in the background to help make this a reality. I have been sat trying to get this podcast off the ground for a hell of a long time, mainly due to a bit of confidence issues, but also a lot of technical work as well. Yeah, logistics, etc. It's been an absolute nightmare. We wanted to bring a podcast to you, hopefully, that covers a lot of topics, that's informative, and that maybe opens your eyes to things that you haven't considered before. We didn't want to have a podcast where we swore at each other, and I believe we've done exceptionally I, well. I think we have,
0: yeah. If, which, if you knew us and our, our sailor mouth is quite impressive. <laughs> we haven't sworn one bit.
1: We want to give you a podcast also that you'll be able to listen to in the car without worrying about grandma in the backseat or the kids um, hearing anything inappropriate. So that's one of the things that we're striving for as well. We're going to bring on some guests in the next few weeks, fingers crossed. We're going to be live from London Film Festival, which is really exciting. We're going to be doing some live recordings out in London, instant reactions to films. Mike's going to go and see some films off on his own as well. We're going to try and incorporate that into the show. We want to thank all the distributors and um, studios for allowing us access to some of the sound clips you've heard today they've been incredibly supportive i want to thank thunderbird releasing for our competition giveaway so don't forget that you have a chance to win a copy of my life is a courgette which is out on blu-ray and dvd uh, in the next week and also i want to thank at yaha for all of the work on filmseekers.com which is our website there are loads of reviews up on there now and uh, including it which went up uh, a couple of days ago before its release we do try and get the jump on films and try and get up a, a review in time but if you want to help out and contribute feel free once again to get in contact with us uh, via the email address ollie's done incredible amount of work he works for a company called Yaha and uh, he's done lots and lots of intricate details to make
0: sure that website looks unique I may be slightly biased, but I think the website does really look good. It, it is of a very high quality, so go and check it out. And want to thank Bo at Big Numb. Thank you
1: very much for giving us our music today. Big Numb are a band that are local to us, but they also make some cracking music. You'll hear them on our outro as well. The song you heard at the start of the show, which I think's grown on Mike, and Mike, you're a hip-hop fan as well.
0: But yeah, no, it's it's very good. I I do find myself walking around just too clever, too clever for words in my slightly terrible delivery there i don't quite know i went a bit gary newman
1: i apologize <laughs> you did a little bit uh, too clever for words is out there on itunes and all the other mp3 sites you can buy it for yourself and listen to the full version which is fantastic I want to thank all the amazing podcasts that have supported me especially over the last few years i want to thank tim walter and Hamano at first time watchers you heard their advert earlier go and listen to them they're absolutely brilliant they gave me my first break in podcasting tim especially tim you do so much work you don't moan about anything
0: tirelessly i was gonna he, say yeah
1: you are the unsung hero of the of doing all the back end stuff for first time watchers you uh, you've done it for so many years and it, i i want to be one of the first person to overtly say I acknowledge how much hard work podcasting is because I'm having to do it now. So Tim, Walter and Hermano at First Time Watchers, thank you very much for everything that you've done to support me and ultimately support Film Seekers as well. Um, We want to thank JD at In Session Film, another really, really highly revered podcast uh, based on movies. JD, thank you so much once again for inviting me on your show as well. And also thank you to Brendan, but foremostly thank you to JD because you once again took a chance on me put me on your show to talk about a couple of films and i really really appreciated that as well um, you need to be careful you'll make tim jealous oh well by not mentioning brendan That's yeah. why i'm deliberately not mentioning brendan.
0: <laughs> oh to, to keep him on placated <laughs> on, yeah on the honest side.
1: and you johnny come lately jason and lee wow what a, a year it's been for you guys if not longer the atlantic screen connection you once again heard their advert in our show earlier on today you guys go very very deep onto films and if you've heard the Under the Skin episode, it will make you rethink that film completely. Mike, any other highlights out of their podcast that people uh, should download?
0: The Fate of the Furious episode is another one that's hilarious. And again, uh, Baby Driver. It was, was another episode that made me look at the film in a different way. And so I think to to be able to do that is is something that's is very impressive. And and yeah, I am a massive fan of the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast.
1: They're great guys as well. Really, really great guys so supportive so follow jason and lee at big pick reviews and, and at Atlantic. Atlantic SE.
0: yeah they're lovely on twitter as well they inter- they're very interactive and and yeah definitely worth a follow
1: and i want to thank my amazing girlfriend she is as intelligent as she is beautiful she is uh, just brilliant she's been so supportive to me and without her film seekers would never have happened it would have just stayed as an idea in my head she's encouraged me to actually get out in the world get a bit of confidence behind myself and make really make a go of it and one of her quotes is and i'll say this out into the world thoughts do become things kirsten thank you so much for all the love and support you've given me to make sure that the film seekers podcast and the film seekers website has happened you are brilliant thank you very much and also to you the listeners thank you so much We're hoping someone's listening. Yeah, I was going to say thank you for putting up with us. (laughs) Thank you for listening today. You can listen to us more by subscribing on iTunes or subscribing on your podcast directory. Please do subscribe because that will notify you of when our next episode will go up. And our next episode should go up in the next fortnight, but you will have the jump on it if you subscribe to us. The film that we're going to talk about, Mike, is... mother Mother, exclamation point mother is going to be our film not by aaron aronofsky uh, but (laughs) by. although
0: i would love to to know what aaron aronofsky is up to
1: he's the brother of darren See, yeah yeah Um, um, aaron and darren um so darren aronofsky's mother is going to be our next film it is a little bit after release but that also gives you time to go and watch it and think about it and then also gives us time to watch and think about it and maybe we can have a little mix of your thoughts if you've seen it Email us at hello at filmseekers.com and let us know your
0: thoughts. But yeah, it would be nice for the next episode to have a bit more interaction where hopefully you'll be able to watch the film and then tell us what you thought. And then we'll watch the film and tell you what we thought. Yeah, that, that's a that per- simple. That's
1: a perfect symbiotic relationship, Mike. And that's what exactly what we want. So thank you, listeners, whoever you are, wherever you are. Until next time. Ta ta. Bye
0: bye. <laughs> This episode has ended, but your film journey doesn't have to. Head over to FilmSeekers.com where you'll find more reviews, ideas and news. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Why not connect with us and let us be part of your film-seeking adventure?